In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Glory to thee, O God, glory to thee, heavenly King, O Comforter, the Spirit of Truth, who art everywhere present and fillest all things, O treasure every good and bestower of life. Come and dwell in us and cleanse us from every stain and save our souls, O good one. Sit down. When I do talks, I try to give to you what the church teaches and what the Holy Fathers teach. I avoid as much as possible to give my opinion. Of course, that's hard because sometimes that can creep in. But when it does, if I'm aware of it, I will tell you that's my idea. But as you notice, unlike some other talks that you, you may listen to, my talks are full of quotes. Then we talk upon those quotes. Why do I do that? And let's compare myself to St. Nikolai Velimirovich, for example. When you read, his, he's got a, I think there's about two volume set of his homilies. In his homilies, he rarely quotes from the fathers. He just writes and writes and writes and writes theology and all these things that he's writing. And I've noted that he doesn't do that. But when I do it, it's always quotes. Saint Paisio, Saint Porfirio, Saint this, all the time, Saint John Chrysostom. So if you've listened to the talks, you'll notice that. Why is my approach different to Saint Nikolai? Why do I borrow from the Holy Fathers, transmit to you what the Holy Fathers teach, and yet you read St. Nicholas and you see he, do, he does little examples sometimes. He could, um, might give an example from the patristic books and things like that. But a lot of it is his own. Why? Do you know? Because he is a Holy Father himself. So he gets inspired from the Holy Spirit because he was holy, he was pure, he had communion with God and therefore the Holy Spirit that dwelled in him, what came out of his heart was of the Holy Spirit. While unfortunately the rest of us are impure. We have passions, pride involved, the ego gets involved, so it's for us, we cannot boast and say in any way that we have the Holy Spirit to the extent that the Holy Fathers did. And that is why, blessed are the pure in heart, because they will see God, that is why we who are impure need to always sit at the feet of the Holy Fathers. If you don't have that type of spirit, then you're not orthodox. And if you don't want to be orthodox, that's up to you. But if you want to be an orthodox Christian, we sit at the feet of the Holy Fathers and listen to their teachings. We do not make up our own. Now, one day I did. Just came out and I said, in my opinion... Maybe some of you here the talks will, will remember. 
I said, I believe that the first spiritual father should be the parents, the mother especially, not the priest, the mother especially, and the father to some extent. That's who children should confess to, should open up to. But I'd never read that. So when I said it, I was troubled because I said, what happens if it's wrong? What happens if I made a mistake? See, the, the Holy Fathers, when they spoke, they were so enlightened they would feel if something was from God and something was from their own or something was from the demons. And I said, as I said, because we are impure, because we have passions, we don't have that gift, so it's hard to know. So that's what I felt. I said it, usually when we go back and edit the talks before we give them out for distribution, I actually uh, say, okay, wipe that off, because I'm not sure. I'm only comfortable when I can back it up that I know that's what the saints teach. Is that a good thing? I think it is. Because if I sat here and said my own stuff, like many talks, people do that. They actually talk, blah, 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 blah. I used to go to some talks years ago, and when I was listening to those talks, one thing I had in mind, when can I get out of there? I never heard the word Christ, hardly. I never heard saint, this saint, this, this example, the life's a saint. A couple of Bible quotes, yes, and it was like that, I didn't. I wasn't comfortable with that. And if I was to do that, I would expect you to do the same. Out as soon as possible. So, let's look at this. Saint Paisios. Children should talk with their parents and share their thoughts with them, just as a monk in the monastery has his elder to whom he reveals his thoughts and his help. A child, too, should communicate with his parents, his or her parents. Ideally, a young child should first confess to his mother and then to a spiritual father. For just as when the child hurts his leg and the parents take him to the doctor and learn what they have to do to help in the healing process, they should likewise know what sort of the parents should know what sort of spiritual or social problems the child has in order to help. If a child shares his or her problems only with the spiritual father, then how can the parents help their child if they don't even know what sort of problem he or she is having? And when I read that, I was so joyous, not because I can say, oh, I was right, because I didn't make a mistake and I didn't say something which wasn't orthodox. Today, a lot of the children cannot open up to their parents. We've discussed that in the earlier talks, talk 70, 71, 72 on the upbringing children. There's a lot of reasons for that. There's breastfeeding, the pregnancy, 
There's the, um, the first few years of the child's life. That bond's not there. Children are not trusting. So they go to the spiritual father. They open up certain problems. They might open up psychological problems, open up emotional problems, open up maybe they fight with certain passions. Of course, the priest is not allowed then to go to the parents and express certain things. What I try to do is I try to get the children or young people to go and speak to their parents. I say, well, have you said that to your dad or your mum? No. Go. But sometimes for them it's like excruciating. How does it get to that stage where children don't want to open up to their parents? So it's good if you send your children to spiritual fathers, but they're going to do their work, they're going to help the child as much as they can, but you're the one with the child continually. If you don't know what's going on with the child, it's no good. Sometimes I give indirect warnings to the parents because I feel the need. It's got a bit of problems there. You, you better... You better pray. You better pray for the child. You better do something about it because there's some problem there. I might not say exactly what it is because you're not allowed, but you give an urgency there. I received an email from someone in Canada. They were Coptic, and then um, the mother and her daughters became orthodox. The husband's still in the process. And I um, said to her, you must go to a monastery and go and attach yourself close to a monastery. Well, there was one up there. And I said, I think the abbess there is very spiritual. Anyway, so she went and through the abbess's prayers, etc., they became orthodox. And she goes often to that monastery. So one day the abbess said to her, you need to come more often to the monastery. Now, some demonic people would say, so they can buy candles, they can get money. Not to defile the atmosphere, let's leave that. So, the abbot said, you should come more often. And then this woman said, Mother so-and-so reassured me that people who are close to the monastery do not lose their children. Keep that in mind, and as we proceed with the talk, we will know why. Why did she say that? And it wasn't for the candles. Now, there was a talk that someone sent me on YouTube. It's called The Education of Children According to the Contemporary Saints of the Greek Orthodox Church, April the 3rd, 2016. A sermon by Metropolitan Neophytos of Morphu to the parents of a certain primary school there, elementary school. Now, this person, this Metropolitan, was a worldly person when he was young, from Cyprus. And he went to Greece as a, I think when he was studying as in, in, in a university, and he uh, went and visited St. Porphyrios. 
and he was amazed. He said, well, I didn't know a saint still exists like this. And he said to St. Porfirios, can you allow me to confess to you? And St. And Porfirios said to him, no, you're not to me, because we're too similar and we'll clash. Go to Elder Yakovos of Evia, which is a, uh, the second largest island in, in Greece. Now, St. Yakovos was just canonised a few weeks ago. This particular metropolitan, he knew St. Porfirios, St. Yakovos, St. Paisios, St. Evmenios. He was um, a chaplain at one of the hospitals in Athens. I met him once or twice, I think. A uh, very, very um, quiet, humble man. He used to help the, you know, go around and commune the sick and confess them. And there was one more, he said. He said um, that he knew five saints, contemporary saints. And he was amazed because he said that he noticed that even though they never communicated with each other, those saints, much, or maybe some a little bit, but most of them were. Because remember that Elder, like for example, Elder Paisios, he never communicated with Elder Joseph. So anyway, he noticed that those five fathers, Greek, from the Greek Orthodox Church there in Greece, he said, they used to say things to me similar. They were always, the things that they taught me were similar. So what Elder Porfirio said about children, Elder Paisio said about children. And what Elder Paisio said about children, Elder Yakovo said about children, etc., etc. And he said, and he pondered this, this metropolitan, he says, why are they similar? And then he thought about it and thought, and goes, because... They are all inspired by the same Holy Spirit. In this video, there was one part which I heard. There's a lot of parts. I'm going to read one more later on, one part now, and another talk. If we're alive, we'll do another one. So, he said, Saint Porfirius used to say, after seven years old, the matter is finished. In other words, if we use the, the done deal. Finito. What does he mean by that? After the child reaches seven years old, the matter is finished. What teachers consider as being education is simply the following. A teacher unfolds a child in the same way we unfold a scarf. The teacher simply unfolds everything that the child took at the time of conception during the nine months that it was in the womb during the months of, or years of breastfeeding and everything up to seven years old. In other words, what that child is going to be, its character, virtues, whatever, passions, it's the seven years. After that, there's not much you can do. The seven years are the most important. Even psychologists have said similar things. Now, 
seven years old. Let's have a look at what our children are doing up to seven years old. In other words, this is why the Russians, during the communist time, they tried to keep the child as late as possible out of the compulsory atheistic schools when they were under the Soviet Union. The saints then, that lived during that time of persecution, said to the parents, try to keep the child at least up to eight. Seven, eight, seven. At least up to eight. Because, they said, this is what the saints said in those times, because what you've taught it, that's it, it's in. It's in the child and it's very hard to change a child if it's been brought up properly, even if it goes to an atheistic school. So what do we see today? In the first few months, some parents even send their child to childcare. Are those childcare teachers going to bring up the child in a Christian way? I don't think so. What else? Some of those children go to child care, child care, scare. It was like a slip, but it's the same thing. Child scare, because <laughs> they do get scared. So a lot of these children that go to these places are there even for the first few months, but some one, two, three, four, five, for five years. Now, some, if I remember right from previous talks, some um, health organisations that said that uh, they actually came out. It's a wonder they did it because, you know, most people can't say anything now because of the feminists that have taken control of nearly the whole world. They said up to two years old, absolutely no childcare. Up to two years old, absolutely no TV. And I say to myself, at least we got to that stage, at least two. But it should be more. Because children are damaged when they go, according to them, to childcare, when they go into watching TV up to before the age of two. So today, parents not only send their children to childcare, but they allow the children to watch TV. So it's getting an education there. Remember, this first seven years, the child is like a sponge. It's sucking in everything. And once it reaches seven, it's saturated. That's it. No more. Pretty much, that's what it is. So we've got the childcare, we've got the TV. Now, I watched TV when I was young. I, don't, I didn't, didn't watch it, I think, when I was a baby. Like most people watching TV now and they, as soon as they come home from um, the hospital. And I know it's a, I'm affected. Things come to my mind of things I watch, things I think, and I like just bang, 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 just comes out. But you're a monk, you should be spiritual. What, what I received up to seven is what I am now. Then we have children going to school at the earliest, some of them times four and a half. Sometimes the schools let them in at four and a half, depending on their birthday, whether it's before June, after June. Anyway, let's, even, even five, let's just say five. Four and a half, they're pretty much done. Done in the fact that they're, they, they're really tragic. 
On 60 Minutes, there was a principal who came out and said, retired, of course, I wonder why he didn't do it before. Maybe he didn't want to be attacked by the feminists. But anyway, he said, when a child starts school early, he noticed as a principal, he's an old man now, he said, as a principal, I noticed the children that started very early, uh, they never catch up. They will have problems for the rest of their lives. And usually I can tell a child that a person, as an adult, by the way they act, I can sometimes tell whether they went to school early. They're agitated, they're kind of insecure, got, they act in a certain way. I go, when did you start school? Uh, four and a half. The older they are, the better. By law, in New South Wales, for example, it's six. But the parents say, why should I pay for childcare? I'll take them to school, it's for free. Four and a half, five. But the saints say seven. Seven, that means that those children that go to schools, let's just say four and a half, even if they didn't go to preschool things, that means for four and a half to seven is two and a half years that child is still sucking in all this information that is not proper. And then we wonder why we have problems. And God willing, I'm hoping to do talks on early childhood schooling and preschools, TV, but that's going to take a lot of energy and I have to uh, be healthy, healthier. So that's the, um, that's the three things. That's my introduction. Now, let's start with the talk. This talk, I believe, if I finish it, this talk, see, I'm not happy with the first, with talk 70, 71, 72, 73, 74, 75. Everyone writes back to me, fantastic, very good, I'm learning a lot and all that, but I'm still not happy deep down. There's something that I don't feel happy about. And what is it? As much as people listen to them, they still make very big mistakes. It's as if they haven't heard the talk. They might say something. I go, but didn't you just say that you listened to talk 73, say? They go, yeah, but didn't I say in there this, this, and the whole talk was about that. They go, oh, oh, was it? So something's wrong. I'm not satisfied. I'm not happy. And I knew as I was doing those talks, I knew that the reason why these talks are not going to be as effective to a lot of people is because of two reasons, which I'm going to develop today. These two things are missing, and that's the whole reason for the tragedy. So let's look at section A. Elder Epiphanius Theodoropoulos, Greek elder, not canonised as yet. He lived from 1930 to 1989. I actually met him at one stage. Does that make me special? No, it just condemns me more. See, when we meet holy people and we don't do what they teach us, then we are condemned more. So, Elder Bifanius said, parents must love their children as their children and not as their idols. That is, they should love their child as it is and not as they wish the child to be. That is, resembling them. 
I think there's two things there. But that's true, that parents want to force their children to be what they want it to be, not allowing some freedom to the child, or they want the child to be what they didn't become, the parent didn't become, or they want the child to be like them if they think that they're good or educated or whatever. But there's also the parents who treat their children like idols. They looks like they worship them. Now, how does that happen? How, how does it get to the stage that the parents do that? We'll see as time goes on there. St. Paisios, who lived 1924, between 1924 and 1994. Like St. John of Constant was Russia's last warning before the revolution. People like St. Paisios, St. Porfirios, were given to the Greeks to wake up and repent before bad comes. So what happened to Russia? They didn't repent. Communism came. Well, what's waiting for Greece? And for all of us, if we don't listen to God's teachings through his saints. So St. Paisius says the following. The parents must also help the children from a young age to learn to assume the responsibility for themselves. They should be given opportunities in the family to do small chores suitable for their age and not to want to have everything ready-made for them. Otherwise, they will encounter difficulties when they grow up, the children. A master tradesman worked hard all his life to raise his children. They spent their days in idleness, lazing around, wandering about the town. Even when they got married, they still expected things to be done by their father. When the father finally said that it was time for them to look after them, their own homes and families, they responded. The children said, quote, That's just great, father. How is it that you never left us uncared for when we were little children and now that we've grown up and have obligations with our own family, you're leaving us. You're leaving us. In other words, they still wanted the help. And there are parents who did that to their children, washed their clothes, cleaned their rooms, uh, cooked, never made them do any chores, hardly anything. I know one mother said to me, oh, you know, I said, why don't you make the children at least clean their own clothes because they get faces and they get all upset and I, ca I, I, can't, I can't do it. So it's just easier for me, I just, I just wash it for them. I said, what you're doing to your children is criminal. You are destroying them for the rest of their lives by what you're doing. Remember the story that, that I heard years ago about a woman who got married had everything done by the mother, then she got married because she's going to do her own house. After the first day, when, when she, I think after she saw the plates in the sink, she goes, oh, it's too much. I'm going home. I'm going home. So she left her husband. But when do we give them the chores? And how many chores? And how do we do that? How... That's the problem as well. People don't know exactly. When I mean, you read these things, like St. Paisius didn't mention ages. He didn't mention much detail there. 
His advice is correct, but when? How? What do you do when they don't want to do it? Do you smack them? Do you punish them? Otherwise, what do you do? This is what's lacking. Because in all my talks that I said, I give you certain advices. Some of them were detailed and some of them were general. When you give general advice, people tend to muck it up. They just don't know how to apply it. Let me give you an example. So I had a, I had a tradesman come to the monastery to do some work. His father's sick, very old, about 85. This man's 60 years old. And I said to him, well, how's, uh, how's daddy? He goes, oh, he's not very good. He's not very good at all. I go, what's wrong? He says, he's really sick. I go, well, maybe his time's come. He goes, I hope not. I go, why? And I was waiting for him to say, because I love him and I'm going to miss him. He goes, and this is how he spoke. Sorry to do the expression. Who's going to make breakfast for me? Who's going to clean my room? He makes my lunch for work. He washes my clothes. I have dinner ready when I go home. Who's going to do all that for me? 60 years old. 60 years old. And the man is 86 or something and dying sick. I said, wow, that's excellent for my next talk. (laughs) I love it. And had another mother who would not allow her children to fail. So when they had appointments, she had to remind them. You've got an appointment, you've got this, you've got that, you've got, you got, oh, you got an assignment to do. You, every detail. You, she wouldn't have said, let them fail. She goes, oh, oh, no, oh, oh, no. I said, let them fail. Sometimes they get a bit irritated. So one example was that the person, so one of their children, wouldn't get, wouldn't get ready on time to go to wherever they were going, university, college, TAFE, I don't know, whatever. And what she would do was she would be a bit late because she didn't get ready on time, didn't wake up on time, whatever, and she goes, I'm, I'm late, can you take me? And she would take her. The next day, I'm late, can you take me? And again, and again, and again. And I said to her, you will say no, but, but she's going to miss out on the lectures and fall behind. Let her fail. So the next day, uh, oh, I'm late. Can you take me? No, should wake up on time. But I'm going to be late. I'm going to miss out. No. So she went. She was embarrassed because she missed one lecture. Then she had to go halfway through another lecture, whatever. After that, clockwork, wake up on time. But the mother said, no, no, oh, I can't let her fail. I said, you're, you're like a, a criminal, what you're doing. You're making this person retarded in a, not a physical sense. But the problem is, when do you give them the chores? How do you apply all this? Sounds good. How much do you let them fail? What happens if they get into despair? What happens if... Some people might say, oh, if I let them fail too much, they might become suicidal. That's what the purpose of this talk is about. When, how, how much? St. Paisios, parents sometimes hurt their children out of excessive love that they have for them. 
You see, if love gets derailed, then it hurts the child, chokes him. It's a type of sickness. Derail. What does that mean? So, like a train. If it gets derailed, then it smashes. There's an accident. People get hurt. People can get killed. It's the same as love. If love is proper, it goes on the train tracks. But when it's not proper and, the, and love is derailed, as St. Patricia says, then there's damage. And he calls that excessive love sickness. It's a type of sickness. And he says, and this hurts the child, chokes them. It chokes the child, this excessive love, and damages them. Fortunately, some children are brave and they escape, but others, however, are destroyed. You see, even love needs a break, like a break of a car. You can have love, I love my child, but you've got to also hold back a bit. So that's what he's saying, like a car, you apply the brake. Sometimes parents have to apply the brake for their love so that their love doesn't become sick, unnatural, off the rails. And he actually says here, if you missed it, I'm not sure, fortunately some children are brave and they escape. What does that mean? That some children are brave, in other words, they have the guts to say, I'm not staying in this environment. I'm leaving. And I agree. When the child gets a little bit older, some environments are not good, whether it's abuse or whether it's this excessive love to this extent. Sometimes it's better off for them to leave because they're going to get sick. I like that when he says, fortunately some children are brave and they escape, but others, however, are, and I underlined it, destroyed. So children that remain in those type of environments with parents who are, have this sick, excessive love, or let's just say abuse, but this is, this is, we're talking about love now, but it can be abusive as well. The problem is children sometimes might feel that the excessive love could be something which is where the parents just want them to be responsible. Like, I want you to do your room. You don't love me, you know, things like that. They're just confused. But there are legitimate scenarios in which the parents are destroying their children. And I agree 100%. If they can escape, then they have to escape, go to some relative or something like that where it's safer. And that was my idea, that's St. Paisius. He said, fortunately, some children are brave and they escape. I like that, escape. Like you escape from a, from a prison or you escape from a concentration camp or something like that. I think the word escape is very, very good. St. Porfirios, who lived between 1906 and 1991, he says the following. Another thing that harms children is overprotectiveness, that is, excessive care, or excessive anxiety, excessive worry on the part of the parents. Now, this is a problem. See, a general statement, 
and I actually did this before. Remember I said to remember the word W-A-C, whack, like whack, and also parents are like that, it's like they're wacky. Whack, W-A-C, excessive worry, W. A, excessive anxiety. C, excessive care. But how much? That's the problem. Where's the advice? When is worrying for your children excessive? How much? When, where's the cutoff? There's no advice. When is the care? Shouldn't we care for our children to make sure they eat properly? Where's the cutoff? How old? When? Do we stop when they're young? Do we stop when they're teenagers? Nothing. And anxiety. If a parent's children are going out now, say they're 16 maybe, they're going out, they've flown the coop as we say, they're going out with their friends and the mother or the father or both are at home anxious, is my child safe? Is that excessive? Is that wrong? Is that going to harm the children to have all that? Where are the answers? This is why when I did all these things, I knew that a lot of you won't understand when. It was just too difficult. I mean, I said it to you, but where does it stop? How much? How much do you protect the child? How much do you do all these things? Hopefully, with God's help, that's what we're going to come to today. St. Paisios, a person said to St. Paisios, Elder, can a mother out of excessive love harm her child? St. Paisios says, of course she can. When, for example, a mother who sees her little child falling down while trying to walk thinks, oh, the poor child can't walk, she then holds the child constantly in her arms. If she doesn't hold the child by the hand a little, how will that child ever learn to walk? Now, that's when they're young, but this can happen for a lot of things. Their parents are holding the hands of their child even when it's seven, eight, nine, as I said. Like the lady, what I was telling you, that she was um, even reminding the children when their assignments are due. That's a bit too much, isn't it? So uh, this happens a lot where parents don't allow their children to walk, whether they're babies, when they start to walk at eight, nine, ten months, or as Infants, 7, 8, 10, 12, 15, and as I read before, 60 years old. 60 years old. Then the saint says, it is done out of love, but this excessive protection is harmful to the child. Elder Porfirios just a few minutes ago said it harms the child when you have this excessive protection care, protection. St. Paisios says the same thing. Why? The same Holy Spirit. God is enlightened in both of them. I met a father whose son had completed his military duty and who still accompanied him to the barber for his regular haircut. He must have been at least 2021. 20, and he said, I brought my son for his haircut. How much will it cost? And when should I come to pick him up? He said, I don't do that. Ah, oh, no, no, I don't, no, I don't do that. Maybe you don't do the barber, but you do other things. Then the concluding statement from St. Paisius is the following. Ready? This man had 
crippled his child. Like the 60-year-old guy, he was crippled. Divorced twice. Crippled. That might have been a better word than the retarded, because people might get offended. But crippled. Disabled. People are disabled because today of their parents. That's why a lot of the majority of marriages, they can't keep. They can't keep. Not, children aren't used to it. They just were used to having everything done for them. It's too much for them. Elsewhere, on another section of St. Paisus, he says about a son, another tragic situation with the child or something, and so the saint concluded his mother really loved him. This love, however, did not help him because of the way she treated him, which caused negative reactions on his part. So the saint's saying that this situation, I don't remember what the scenario was, but he said she loved him, but it was too much. And because of this excessive love that she had for the boy or the man or whoever it was, this caused negative reactions on his part. What's the negative reactions? Depression, anxiety, anger, being closed, socially withdrawn, physically sick as well. Could be a lot of things that can be the cause of what happens when parents are on their children all the time. Let's look at an example of a negative reaction. I've read this before, but we'll do it again quickly. Just today, a mother came here with her son, a tall young man who was sick. What can I do, father? The mother said. Our boy doesn't eat and he doesn't even want to see us, she told me. See, negative reaction. In his case, he didn't want to look at the parents, probably in the room, and he couldn't, didn't even eat. Because anxiety, depression, it has different effects on people. Some people eat a lot, some people don't eat much when they're stressed, when they're, up, when they're upset. Everyone's got different reactions. Some get stomach pain, some get headaches. Some get all pains on their shoulders because of the tension. Everyone reacts differently to um, stress. What can I do, Father? Our boy doesn't eat and doesn't even want to see us, she told me. I told her what to do, and then she asked again, what shall I do now? And that's true. When I speak to people, you can say something to them, and then at the end they say, so what should I do? But didn't I just tell you? Then a person said to the elder who was, you know, who was listening to the story, Perhaps, Elder, she didn't understand what you told her. St. Paisa said, of course she understood. I told her, I can't bear to sit an hour with you. How do you expect the boy, the boy, but really a young man, to be with you all the time? You have driven him crazy. That's very rude of the saint, isn't it? So abrupt. Because in today's love day, in the world of love, you're not allowed to speak like that. And some people would actually um, judge him and say, oh, that was harsh. Look what he said. I can't be with you for an hour. How can he be with you all the time? You've driven him crazy, her answer. No, I love him. I can imagine as if I was there. 
No, I love him. You know, they got these parents become like that. She said. And then the saint says, how can you love him if he cannot relax, be near you? He wants to leave the house because he wants to be in another environment. When he's away from you, he's fine. For him not to want to be with you must mean that you two are at fault for his situation. I'm going to tell you something and I'm going to, you're going to notice it right throughout all the quotes. The saints never held back. No, but they were humble. They wouldn't have spoken. You will see each time whether St John Christum, whether other fathers and saints, it's your fault. It's your fault. It's your fault. It's your fault. Sometimes I used to feel when, when I speak to people and about these situations and I, and I say, um, it's your fault. And sometimes I get that thing, oh, maybe I shouldn't because we live in the love days. Gotta be, you've got to be careful because you're not allowed to blame. Remember, now it's all positive? All positive now. But then I say, but wait a minute, the saints were, oh, but you're not a saint. Maybe not, but I'm a, I'm a priest and I'm responsible for souls. So I think I have the right, if I feel it's their fault, I'll say, it's your fault. Don't have to scream at them, but you just tell them. You've got to say the truth. Don't provoke him. You're emotionally abusing the boy by treating him the way you do. Treat him kindly with patience. See how he blames the mother? It, look at, it says, you are emotionally abusing the boy, which is really a man. Having said all this to her, she asked me again, what should I do? The boy does not want us. How can you, the saint says, how can you communicate with a person like that? To have a boy that is perfectly fine and they make him out to be stupid. This is detrimental. This is harmful. This is damaging, in other words. So keep that in mind. One, I love him. Remember those words. I love him. That's what some of parents say today. I love him. I love her. But you are damaging the child by doing that. Oh. But I love her. So love, if it's not done properly, damages people. This can be in married couples as well, where the love is not proper. And then the spouse can feel claustrophobic, can feel repressed. This can cause stress like that. Some men are possessive of their wives, but some wives are possessive too. There's a book called On the Upbringing of Children by Bishop Irenaeus of Ekaterinburg in Sibiusk, 1904. That book was produced, and now it's produced by St. Ksenia Skeet. Wildwood, California. So it's Bishop Irenaeus. He said in that book, very few parents can boast of giving their children a truly good upbringing. 
Many parents, even very pious ones, have children who unexpectedly display bad characters. One of the basic reasons for this problem can be found in the parents themselves. What did he just do? Blame the parents. When, uh, when some parents say, oh, he was so good and suddenly he changed. Suddenly he changed. They don't blame themselves. They say it's someone from school or a friend or someone influenced them. Never themselves. Many parents are indifferent to the moral and religious training of their children or, this is the part I want you to listen to, or are so blinded by excessive and irrational love for them that they do not want to see anything bad in them. In other words, irrational, for some of you not that good with the English language, that's illogical, the love is illogical, the love is ridiculous, crazy. And he says some parents damage their children, cause problems because they're blinded by excessive and irrational love. That book was published in 1904. St. Porfirius earlier on said excessive love, da da da, can damage the child. Then we read St. Paiso said this is excessive love, da, can damage the child. All the same. The parents are deaf to the observations of well meaning people and refuse to listen to their good advice. I want to speak about that because now we're coming to something which really bothers me. There are people who have the guts to go up to the parents and say, you know, I just want to tell you that your child has done this or something like that. And the parents don't listen to their advice, to their observations, to their concerns. No. They refuse to listen to these people. Sometimes the person that come up to you could be coming up to you as a stab, like a, like and saying, "Oh, your child did this," and then you can say, "Oh, they're saying that because they're trying to get back at me, or they're jealous, or whatever." It doesn't matter. Listen to what they're saying. Maybe they've got a point, even if it is not coming from a good reason. And yet, my observation is, parents, time and time again, don't listen to the, don't listen to anyone. They don't want to hear anything about their kids. What happens to those people is really, really sad and so uh, tragic. God permits their children to get worse because they didn't listen. But if an angel came and told me that my child was doing bad, I would listen. The answer is no. Remember what Christ said about the, the rich man who went to hell and he said, oh, please let me go back to my brothers and tell them about this so they can warn them. And then the parable says, if they don't listen to Moses, they're not going to listen to someone who comes back from the dead. So why are we going to say, if an angel told me, if a saint told me, I'll listen. Do you think a lot of those saints, Porfirios, all these saints and ancient saints, that people 
would listen to them. Now, a lot of people didn't listen to them. I'm not a saint, I understand that, but I've told people things about their kids. No. Some of them even stopped talking to me. But I've got to do my duty. There's an example, happened a few years ago, I remember this. A woman noticed something about someone's child. The child was, I don't know, 10, 11, I'm not sure. So the woman rang up the father, had a concern and says, look, I just want to tell you that the child did this, this and that. And the father would say, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, okay, mm-hmm, I can, yep, mm-hmm, yep, I'll work on that, mm-hmm. I call agitated. Mm-hmm. And then, some weeks later, dring, dring, the woman gets a call. Who is it? Mm-hmm. Rings up. <laughs> Hello? Yeah, yes? It's me. Mm-hmm. Yep, okay, what's happening? He goes, I noticed that your son the other day done this, this and this. And this woman wasn't very intelligent and she goes, She's got, she said to herself, has this got something to do with the phone call that I made to him? So she asked me and I said, you bet it is. You bet it is. Proud, proud as. Proud, terrible. And what happened after that? Children went downhill. His children went downhill. When we don't listen to friends, neighbours, people, whatever, the priest... If you don't listen to them, and saints, by the way, living, if they're living, don't think that these people are going to change when an angel comes or saints appear to them. Once demonic, it's very hard to get out of that. It's called ego, very demonic spirit. I can take a lot. I'm very patient with a lot of things. But when someone doesn't accept their, their faults or their faults of their children... It's really bad. Like the example I told you a while ago when I went to someone's house and the child was only about two years old. The hair was everywhere. The child was screaming. They had it strapped to the high chair and it was just going completely crazy. And I thought, when I looked at it, as I said before, I said, I actually thought, maybe it's got demonic problems. What's wrong with that child? Something said to me, maybe it's having a sugar low. Because I get those things too. I get when it goes down and I feel crazy. So what the child's not an adult to kind of know I'm having a sugar low now. And the child's going hysterical. I said, why don't you give it some food? He goes, oh, we tried. It doesn't want to eat. That's another. <clears throat> and then... They sat the child down and then they uh, tried to feed the child. The child was screaming and whacked the food out of the hand of the mother. So she goes, see, it's not hungry. I said, I 
I think it is, but it's gone hysterical. And she goes, oh, no, that does it. And she picked up the child to take it to the bed, to throw the child in the bed. That was her solution. I said, don't do that. I think there's something wrong. I said, I think it's gone so crazy, it's lost its mind. I think what you need to do is to hold the child down and don't give it food because to, when to eat food, it has to chew. You can't chew when you're going hysterical. You can't coordinate. So get a bottle of milk. It's not hungry. Get a bottle of milk. Just let's do this. So I got the bottle of milk. said, hold the hands. Hold the hands because it's going crazy. I said, now put the bottle in the child's mouth. And then the child was, put the mouth there and was going, ah, and then started sucking the milk. The milk was gone in about a couple of minutes. And the mother was going, oh, real stiff, real disturbed. Instead of saying, oh, thanks, Father, for that. I didn't even think of that. That's humble, see. And then after it finished the milk, the child went, smiled, after being hysterical. I said, now feed it solids because now it's come down. So they gave it, they, they child it two plates of food, two plates of food. So she got very bitter and I said to her, look, she's got to admit that you um, failed at that part and ask God to help you for the future. She goes, okay, whatever, whatever. Shortly after that, bye-bye, never saw her again. I was happy because I don't like dealing with people like that. It's very difficult. So she basically threw me out of their lives when I had just helped them with such a thing that she didn't even know. She was going to put the child there. That child could have been diagnosed as schizophrenic or something. They took it to the doctor, they could have given it those um, ADH things pills. And so, oh no, something's wrong with it. The, would the doctor even ask, um, do you feed it properly? No, they don't hardly ask anything. Oh, what's that? Oh, okay, give it the pills. So that child could have been on pills. It's just amazing. And the other example which I've mentioned before, which I always like, it's the far out example. I call it the far out example. So what happened there was this mother, she had children, and um, I would give her some advice. And all of a sudden she goes, far out. Go, Sorry? Far out. I read so many books on child, on child rearing and so many books, and you don't even read them. And you know, and I read them, and I don't, I don't know. I said, wouldn't, that, wouldn't you be happy with that? So what, are you jealous of the priesthood? I don't understand. What, what are you saying? She got disturbed because I knew some things that she, didn't, that she had read, but I never read them. And her children went downhill as well. And I mean downhill. Between me and you, one of her children tried to stab her. 
This is how bad it is when we do not accept advice. And you might say, oh, but you're rude to... No, nicely. I was speaking nicely. Sometimes I can get rude and get angry. But the one with the child and the, the milk and the one, this one here, I wasn't. I was trying to be nice. And I said to him, well, you know, that's... God can enlighten sometimes the priest too. Like he can enlighten parents. And, and no, not acceptable. Only when the defects of their children become unbearable for the parents themselves do they begin to think about correcting their sons or daughters. Only then do they turn to training them. But by then it's too late. This is why I think it necessary to explain to you why the train of children must begin in their infancy. Infancy meaning up to how old? Did we say the most crucial time is up to seven? That's Bishop Irineos that wrote that book there. Section B now we've got. Elder Thaveos of Serbia. We reprimand, we discipline our children, but we really have no right to do so because we have failed to teach them the proper way. So what he's saying is parents... Don't teach their children properly and then when their children go off and they sit there high and mighty and say, you are doing this and this wrong. Children don't like that. They don't like hypocrisy. I know a lot of children who really, really dislike their parents or father or mother or whatever if they do that. Firstly, they're not proper examples themselves, but also they never taught them in the first place. Then when they started becoming bad in some ways and then they reprimand them. And he says they don't have a right to do that when... They failed to teach them in the first place. A woman doctor, he says, Elder Thaddeus, wrote to me some time ago saying, my husband, who is also a medical doctor, and I have one son. Our son has already wrecked three cars. Thank God he's still alive. He wants us to buy him another car now, but we just do not have the money. If they had the money, what would they do? Buy them another one. They can wreck the fourth one. When we come home from work, he tries to take money from us by force. What can we do to solve this problem? They are speaking to Elder Thavels. What should we do? The elder said, I told her, so the elder saying the story, I told her that there is no one to blame but themselves. Another one, another saint, it's your fault. They had one son and they granted him every whim from his earliest childhood. Whim means whatever he wanted. They gave it to him. They spoiled him. And when the child gets older, it expects the same thing. So they, they had created a monster. But I like that. And Elder Thaddeus was such a humble, so meek. And yet, see, people have a distorted view of Christianity. They think that Christians are just weak and meek and sickly. Christianity is strength. Christianity is power. Christianity is authority. These are sick people. 
out there. Love and humility and meekness. They have no idea when to be meek and when not to be meek. When not to get angry, when to get angry. If someone comes up to me and says, um, oh, you're a fat slob, I don't shouldn't get angry because it's me. They're talking about me. But if they say to me, what's wrong with sending our kids to Catholic schools? What's wrong with praying with heretics or whatever? The saints don't sit there and do their prayer up silently. They will speak up. People are completely confused. Of, well, Elder Thaddeus was very, very humble. Now, I read in the Holy Fathers, there was an example that said there was a bishop who, as a bishop, he never would censure the people. He wouldn't preach and say not to do these sins and not to do that and not to sin like that. He didn't do that. And some would say, see, there's the example. Because a lot of people in the church, they don't want the priests and bishops to speak up and, and tell people what they're doing is wrong. No, no, quiet, quiet. That's the true way, humility. You have your prayer rope and you walk around like a zombie and you say nothing. That's not orthodoxy. But then why did this bishop do it? He said nothing. Basically didn't tell anyone anything. And then underneath there's the explanation. Because he was a monastic, which most bishops, obviously all the bishops are, but because he was more of a monastic than what he was a bishop. As a monastic, what do monastics do? They're in the monastery, quiet. They don't speak. Prayer and quiet. They don't go and tell people off or tell people what they're doing is wrong. Good. And then the explanation is, he was not suitable to be a bishop because he didn't have the authority, he didn't have that power to tell the people what they're doing is wrong and that he shouldn't have been a bishop. That's a good smack in the face for us, isn't it? And there's also a canon in the Rada which says if a presbyter, a priest or a bishop does not talk to the people and tell them God's commandments and warn them and even warn them with punishments. They should be defrocked. They should not be a priest or a bishop. Did Christ, as an example, did he come to earth and say nothing? Did he not preach uh, you know, woe to you, Pharisees, hypocrites. Did he not use those harsh words? Did he not use things about hell? Whoever doesn't have love will go to hell. Didn't he say, use those words? Oh, but that's God, yes. But we are supposed to imitate him. And that's why the canons that were inspired by the Holy Spirit say, priests and bishops must tell their flock what are the commandments, and if needs be, they will actually threaten them if they do not repent. They had one son and they granted him everything from his earliest childhood. You have to look at yourself as parents and say, did you do that? Now, I don't want you to, to um, think today that I am judging and thinking that I'm 
better than you. As a priest, we have what's called spiritual children. You've got physical children, that's true. I will tell you, all the mistakes that I see parents make, I make. Sometimes I spoil people. Sometimes I'm excessively too caring or too worrying. I fall into that all the time. Sometimes I give wrong advice. The relationship of spiritual father with spiritual child is higher than the one with parents and children. So don't think, oh, you don't have to do what we do, we're parents. No. Exactly what you do as parents, or what you have to do, I have to do, but more. And you have that responsibility for two or three of your children. I have them for a lot of people. So when I speak about these things, don't think I'm talking out. Some things I will say when it's unrepentance, I won't tolerate that. When people don't repent, when people have got ego, that I'll talk about. But when people make mistakes with the excessive love or they don't know how to do it or they're spoiling, all these things I fall into too. Same thing, spiritual father or father-mother. Our responsibility is more because you're responsible for your spouse and for your children. I'm responsible for you and your wife and the children and then all the other people that I have under me. So I fall, and I'm going to admit a lot right through, I'm going to admit all the mistakes I make too. I don't want you to think that I'm talking down at you. Only I'm strict if a person is unrepentant. St. John Christum writes, do you complain that your son is unmanageable? You could easily have corrected him while he was yet a child. You could have accustomed him to order, to study, to be consistent in his duties. You could have treated the weaknesses of the soul. When the ground of his heart was still suitable for cultivation, you should have uprooted the thorns before they were firmly rooted. Because of your negligence, your child's passions will now be very difficult to overcome. Firstly, what did he do? This is St. John Chrysostom. Remember, some saint went to heaven. Forgot, I can't, I can't remember everything. So he went to heaven and he saw, saw the saints up there and angels and things. And then he was sad and he goes, um, where's St. John Chrysostom? And then whoever, must have been an angel, accompanied him and said, where the Holy Trinity is, that's where St. John Chrysostom is. So we're not talking about because there's, there's saints and there's saints. There's more simple saints and then there's saints that are closer to God. You see, in my house there are many mansions. What did he do? What, what did we notice? Because of your negligence. Again, he blamed them. And when you used to listen to his sermons, when you read his sermons, he would put the parents down when he had to. He says, when your child was young, its heart was suitable for cultivation. 
Young, what does he mean? How old? Up to seven. He didn't say seven, but obviously we know now from the other fathers, around seven. The heart was, that's where you work on the heart, on the child. Now he says, listen to this, now that you didn't do that, you left the thorns, the weeds in his heart, your child's passions will now be very difficult to overcome. Seven years old. We don't expect Kathy from the childcare to uproot your child's passions. We don't expect Mrs. Marsh from school to uproot your child's passions. Oh, but she will tell him to do his homework. Who cares about the homework when the child's going to become a demon when it grows up? Sir John Chrysostom said it beautifully there. You had your chance and you blew it. You could have easily corrected him while he was yet a child. To study, to do his duties, chores, work on his soul. One of the biggest things when parents speak to him about their little children, that's that, you know, when, they, when the children are young, I look for the passions. Whether the child's got self-love, ego, lying, whatever. I say work on those passions now, now. Work on them now before it gets older because you're going to have trouble. If, you're, if the mother's at work, or if the mother's on Facebook, how is that mother going to have time to uproot the passions of the child? It's easy to go to work. Put on your winter boots, pants, makeup, fix the hair up, inject your lips, put some silicon pads different parts of the body. That's easy. And some people have studied, um, studied childcare and they actually tell me. They actually told me, they say, well, I said, well, what have you noticed? He goes, oh, when those mothers drop off their kids, you can see they're smiling as they're walking off. They love it. But, 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 what happens if they're poor and they can't afford it? That's true. Some parents, some mothers might be single. Some mothers are forced to work because there's no way out of it. That's true. And she has to really do a lot of prayer for that child and pray to God to protect the child and help the child. But the majority don't need it. They just want the second car. But I need the second car to go to work. Why would you need a second car to go to work? If you don't work, you don't need it. These people are not going to uproot your child's passions. That's your responsibility. The priest is not even involved until the child starts to confess. Russian church, I think, is around seven. Other churches, maybe eight, nine. That's when the priest gets involved. Unless you have some relationship with the priest and get some advice. But in general, the priest is not involved. That's your job. Elder Epiphanius. Elder Epiphanius was strict towards parents who complained in a tiresome way about the imperfections 
or the small mistakes of their children. He would say, be thankful and glorify God on your knees and with tears who has given you such children so that those things you do not imagine don't happen and then you'll see. So what we're learning now is certain things parents need to work on and there's little things that you can ignore. Don't always be on the children. And some parents are complaining for little trivial things of their children. And he says, don't complain. Thank God that they're not really bad. And that's because what will happen is that things will happen to your children that you wouldn't imagine that could happen to them. Be thankful to God. You can't even imagine how bad your children can turn out and then you regret it. I rewrote it. If a parent complained that his children were difficult and very active, Elder Epiphanius would say, do you know any child today who is easy and obedient? Why do you wish your children to be an exception? Today, all the children are out of it. But you want your child to be an exception, like you want your child to be 100% obedient, like a robot. There's influences as we read. There's, the, there's all influences, well, kids that watch TV, and there's influences from the school, and there's influences from the daycare, and there's influences from friends. There's all these influences on children. So obviously, the child is going to have problems, but you've got to know which ones to pick on. That's the problem. Parents don't know when to speak, when not to speak. While if the parent insisted on complaining, so when parents would come to confession to Elder Epiphanius, he died around 1989, I think, uh, and they were complaining in confession, my child does this, my child does that, my child, my child, my child, all the time. He says, if you continue complaining, I will give you a penance of 200 prostrations a day. Now this reaches the limit of the limits of ingratitude. He was saying this is really ungrateful when parents complain of everything. So Elder Epiphanius would... Greek saint, would give penances in confession to parents if they overdid it. So he says, if you continue, I'll give you 200 prostrations. Hey, that's correct. That's what the spiritual father should be doing. Spiritual father has the authority. Whatever you shall bind, bind on earth should be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose will be loosed. People don't understand that. People don't understand the authority of the priest. Unfortunately, I'm, it's a bit embarrassing to say a lot of priests don't even know the authority that they've got. They don't know the power that they've got. At this occasion, let's mention here how Aunt Alexandra, now I don't know, she must have been connected to St Epiphanius, and they used to call her Aunt Alexandra. Anyway, how she handled the parents who complained about their children for the smallest reason. She would say, yes, yeah, so what did you want? 
to give birth to angels. You made children. Not overdone for every little thing. St. Paisius says, Parents must explain to their children what is good in a good way, with love and pain. See, parents must explain to their children what is good in a good way, with love and pain. See, we read that. Probably if I read it a few years ago, I think I would miss it. He says, when you have to speak to your children, speak to them in a good way, with love and pain, with pain in your heart, with love, telling the child what what they're doing is wrong. There's no mention of scolding here. So one can interpret that means, see, there it is. It's the love, the lovey way. There's no censuring, like reprimanding. St. Porphyrios, say everything with love and above all with joy. Show them all your love for them and know what you want and what you are saying. But how to behave towards children is an art. He said the same, with love, with joy, with love. And people read these isolated, they take these things that are isolated, and they go, this is the entire teaching of the church on the upbringing of children. Don't isolate. That's why we always have to read broad things. I like well, that's, that's what I do. I read the lives of saints, read this, read that. Broad, get an idea. I don't just pick one thing out. That's heresy. That's what heretics do. They take one thing. Christ said, my father is greater than me. The Jehovah's come along and say, see, he's not equal to God. He's created. But then another part, Christ says, whoever has seen me has seen the father. So heretics cherry pick. Don't do that. We shouldn't do that. Now, yes, it does talk about love. There's no mention about telling off the child nothing. But there's one part I want you to remember for the rest of the talk. This is what I'm trying to get at. But how to behave towards children is an art. This is what I was trying to say in the beginning. You can't just read about, you can't read how to become a builder. You can't read how to become an artist. You can't read how to become a pharmacist. It's, these things are like an art. You've got to, with your, with your knowledge and with your practical experience, it's an art. The same as the upbringing of children. An art means it's difficult. They say prayer is an art. It takes years for someone to develop prayer. And it takes a lot of sweat, a lot of study, a lot of practice, a lot of failures to learn the art of the upbringing of children. It's an art. That's why I'm not happy with my first talks, not that I'm not happy with them, but because it's theoretical. And the upbringing of children is not theoretical, it's an art. It's life. It's practice. It's other things which we're going to come to. Two things. 
Saint Porfirio says, parents, especially the mother, often cause hurt to a child for some act of misbehavior by scolding it excessively. The child is then wounded psychologically. Even if you don't scold the child outwardly but become irritated with anger, inwardly or look fiercely at the child, the child understands and gets wounded. That's another one. You see, so it's like you're saying, see, even again he said it, love, only love, no scolding, no scolding. But we miss the one word. You can hurt the child for some act of misbehaviour by scolding it excessively. Which means he's saying that at times you have to scold the child, but reprimand the child. Tell the child in a bit of a stern way. But if you're saying that we should talk to the children sternly, then why is the saint saying that we shouldn't scold the child outwardly, but become ir- if, even if you don't scold the child, sorry, outwardly you don't say anything, but your face is full of anger, then that's bad. Why is that not contradictory? Because he says you're doing it with anger. Someone can be strict. Someone can be a bit strong. But it doesn't mean that they're agitated, that they're irritated with anger. There's a difference. The child goes towards there. You know, John, don't go there, please. No anger. Strict. Don't go there. Or, John, don't go there. See the difference? Even some of you jump with that. And I wasn't even being serious. Imagine if I was serious, if I had the energy behind it. You know, like the, like the demonic energy, irritations, this and that. Reprimand, strictly, scold, yes. And you can also, with um, love, speak to the child. Say the child's 15. Be careful. Be careful your friends. Be careful your friends. I'm worried about you. Be careful because your friends are taking drugs. You might take drugs. Be careful. That's a bit heavy, but with love, with some forcefulness. So we've got to be careful when we read these things not to misinterpret them and say, see, no scolding. See, only love. Don't be a heretic where they take things out and then make their own teaching. Parents, St. Paisios now says, parents don't treat their children with affection and love, and this is why their children may have psychological problems later on. Some parents treat their children harshly and even beat them for the smallest wrongdoing. Beat them is different to smacking. Now, Elder Pofios, I have to say, he didn't like any physical smacking. Elder Paisios agreed with it up to a certain age until they understand. And as well, we're talking about beating them. Some people will read that and say, see, no corporal punishment in the Orthodox Church. You should never smack the child at all. Because Elder Paisus didn't say that. Elder Paisus was very, very much into a bit of corporal punishment when necessary. That means 
a bit of physical when they're young. They don't understand. They're going to go and touch the stove. They don't understand. You'll smack on the hand. But when they get older and they have logic, then you go to the child. If you go there, you're going to burn your knee, you're going to leave scars on your hand, and you're going to go to hospital, etc. You don't understand. You can't tell a one-year-old all those type of things. And he says, when there's no affection and love, children grow up to have psychological problems. We've all read all this before. But the thing is, what's affection for one parent could be, for another parent, damaging. So one parent shows affection to a child, damages the child. Another parent shows affection to the child, the child develops and grows well. See, something's missing there. How do you know the level of the affection? When? How? When? How do you do it? There are people today who go into the canons of the church and they'll pick one thing. Uh, if a bishop prays for a heretic, they're no longer a bishop. They take that and they say, oh, look, that patriarch or that bishop, he prayed with the Catholics, let's just say. He's not a bishop. He's got no grace. That means that when he does a liturgy, the bread and wine remains bread and wine. They go to this madness. Oh, it means that the baptisms are invalid. Oh, when they confess, it's not confession. Oh, anyone who's under him, they're all, they're all schismatics. They're all away from the church. They've all lost grace. They're outside the church because they read one part there. But then when you read in the lives of saints and other canons, he doesn't say that they've lost grace. It doesn't say that. But then it says they're not a bishop. They're not a bishop is that they don't act like a bishop. They're not being what a bishop should be. Like a child might say, you're not a mother. Does that mean she's not a mother? She gave birth. You do DNA tests. She gave birth to you, but, but you're not acting like a mother. People misinterpret everything. Take everything out of, isolated. That's what heretics do. And today in the church, there are these modern day type of um, heretics in the sense they're not saying the right thing because they're isolating things. Like as I said to you, a while ago, years ago, about this priest that I was speaking to, he was, a, he was like an old calendarist priest, and he was saying to me that uh, when a bishop prays with heretics, that's it, that's it. So he's telling me that because I'm under the, some bishops that pray with these people, that means that you're a heretic too. And I said, oh, okay, the canon, he says, look, the canon says this. Go, oh, it does say that. But then the other canon says that. But the lives of saints says that. But the teachings of St. John Christum says that. Uh, uh, the canons. But saint in the life of St. Athanasius, it was this. And the saint, the saint so-and-so is this. I said, what does the tradition say as well? You can't just take the canons isolated. And he was saying, no, no, the, the, no, the, the rata, that's all he knew. The rata, the rata, the canons. He's not a bishop. And I kept on pressing him. Yes, I agree, it says that, but it also says this, this, and this. And at the end, I said, you can't take isolated. And he goes, oh, 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 don't worry about tradition. All you care about is the canons. Heresy. Like the Protestants. Don't worry about tradition. All we care about is the Bible. So we also have Protestants in the Orthodox Church. Oh, don't worry about what the fathers say. We care about what the canons say. And I said to him, that's not correct. And later on I was reading Saint Father Seraphim Rose's epistles 
And then I came to an epistle that says, when we look at anything to do with the church, we must look at it in a balanced way. We look at the lives of saints, we look at the tradition, the writings of the saints, the canons, etc. If you try to isolate anything, you will fall into heresy. That's the first part of the talk. Now we have the food and we will continue on. Just, um, what did you say before? Oh, that's right. So, Monica, he says that she heard what it was on the radio, 2GB, that they've now saying that kids that go to school very early, like four and a half, uh, a lot of them end up on ADHD. They're more prone to what they call hyperactive, but they're not. They're immature. They can't sit in the class. They're not, the children are meant to play. They can do that when they get a bit older, four and a half is too early. So what they think is they go, uh, especially boys, so if the boy's been agitated, is not able to sit down, it must mean he's sick. They put him on pills and destroy them because they went to school early. So it's all coming out. God permits the, for people to find out the truth, but... Unfortunately, in the process, a lot of people are affected. Remember that the feminist movement, those feminists, have taken control of the universities and all that, the medical, the medical profession, psychology, journalism, newspapers, etc. They're taking control everywhere. They don't allow things that they don't like. They don't want people to know that children are damaged when they go to preschool. They don't want that because the they, their main thing is they've got, they're possessed. They're actually possessed. They want women to have as many abortions as possible, not to have children if possible at all. They must have careers not to have men in their lives if possible. This is, this is what they want. To hate men, to not to have them. You're going to have a child, order the sperm from some organisation, send the child early so you can go to work, send the child to preschool so you can go to work. This is all what is behind them. They are, they are absolutely possessed. That's why I did the talk 65 on um, feminism. And tell you the truth, when I did that talk, I said some things in there which later on, after many years later, I'm starting to see that a lot of things I said there is actually um, worse than what I thought. That's one thing. And the other thing is, on the Akathus to the guardian angel, your guardian angel, which you all should do for yourselves. There's one part which says rejoice. This is what you're singing to the angel, to your guardian angel. Rejoice, for you warn me not to have fellowship with heretics and those who have fallen away from the true church. Rejoice, you're saying to the angel, for you enlighten me, for you 
help me to understand that I mustn't have contact with heretics and those who have fallen away from the true church. Now, that doesn't mean that you cut off from all the world. Like your neighbour might be Roman Catholic. It doesn't mean that you don't talk. It means not to have fellowship, not to have spiritual relationship with people who are not orthodox, etc. So when you send your children to heterodox schools, you are forcing them, because they're young, they don't understand, to have fellowship with heresy. And that's serious. So look at all the things that you can get when you read these services. Now, let's go on. Elder Thaddeo says, Parents scold their children for every little thing. It is as if they do not know how to talk to them kindly and quietly. This is a reoccurring theme since all the things I've read from Elder Epiphanius, Elder, uh, Elder Paisos, Elder Porfirios, now Elder Thaddeos. Same thing, not to speak to children in a harsh way, but kindly, quietly. He's saying, the others were saying, with love, with pain, with joy. Not to pick on every little thing. But that comes, as I said before, what exactly is little and what is big? Like maybe some big things we know, but there are other things, maybe you shouldn't say anything. And there's things that I've noticed with parents, you say to them, what your child's doing there is very big. They go, really? To me, it's nothing. So parents don't know exactly when to speak, when not to speak, how to speak. It's a problem. Now, he, the elder goes on and says, when a parent needs to discipline a child, the child must feel that behind the strictness there is love. Which is what I said before. Parents have to be strict at times. Parents have to tell their children their faults. But it's done with love. And even if you raise your voice, that also can be with love. Do you think Elder Thaddeus talked to Elder Porfirios? Do you think Elder Thaddeus spoke to Elder Paisios? Do you think Elder Thaddeus spoke to Elder Bifanius? No. I don't think even Elder Porfirios ever went to Serbia. I don't even know if Elder Thaddeus went to Greece. But they all have the same Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit which is telling us to speak kindly, Quietly, with love, with pain, with patience. Um, be, you can be angry, but not sin, as it says in the Psalms. Be angry and not sin. In Elder Frem of Arizona, in one of his books, he gave some advice which I thought was very good. It was advice to those who have got spiritual authority but I think the advice could also apply to parents. He said, when you're reprimanding a monk, he's still alive, by the way, when you're reprimanding a monk and you get angry, if you feel guilty, apologise. But if you don't, don't apologise. 
So the parent, you get angry at a child. This is only if the parents are leading a proper life. You get angry at the child. You feel guilty. That means that the way you did it wasn't with the help of the Holy Spirit. It was, it was not done properly. Now, my own experience, I've, people that are under me, I've told them off. And I feel guilty. I've got to go and say, forgive me. But other times I'll tell them off about something or something that needs to be said to reprimand them for serious issues, like ego, those type of things. They're serious. And I don't feel guilty, so I don't apologise. It is... A great mistake to punish children as soon as they do something wrong. Same theme again. For nothing is achieved that way. We must first calm down. And then with a lot of love, with a lot of love, tell the child that he has done something wrong and that he must receive some kind of punishment. If the same thing happens again, the child gets a more severe punishment. And that is how he learns. Now, I'm going to ask a question. Let's see if you've got the guts to do it. How many, put up your hand, if you feel that you've reprimanded your children, not in a calm way and not with love? But you haven't. At least you're honest. These, this couple didn't put their hand up. You know why? Because they've got no children. They're going to have one soon. And then they can come next year when I ask the same question, then you put your hand up. Um, Protestants are in heresy, as you know. But one thing I like, one, one small part of it, you can learn some things from even from them. At least at times, I don't know about now, but at times the preacher would say, hands up if you've got the passion of ego, people would put up their hand. Admit it. But in the Orthodox Church, hands up if you have the passion of ego. You hide your hand. Don't say anything. People can't know your weaknesses. So, when I ask the question, who speaks to their children at times not being calm, hands up. Who speaks to their children um, without love, hands up, see? And once you start admitting it to yourself, things can be then worked out. Now, you, now I put my hand up as well, because as I said, I don't have physical children, but I still have spiritual children. I'm still responsible. I still have to, I'm still got to give word. And I have to tell them. And um, so that's why I'm saying I'm not judging you. And that's why you're lucky, in a sense. Because I understand what you go through. And because I understand, that should make you feel better. To say, oh, look, he admits it himself. And even though he's a priest, and even though he serves liturgy, and even though he's a monk, and yet, he's not patient. 
He doesn't speak with love a lot of times. It's harsh. Make mistakes. That's why a lot of times um, people like to confess or get guidance from monks. Because the monks are, to are constantly in battle, spiritual battle, and they see their faults. Sometimes the married priest, they're a little bit kind of, they're not, sometimes they're not focused too much on spiritual life because they're in the world and some of them even, even work. But in the, in the monastery, you're dealing with passions continually. And because we deal with passions, I understand the passions. We must first come down and then, with a lot of love, tell the child that he has done something wrong and that he must receive some kind of punishment. If the same thing happens again, the child gets a more severe punishment and that is how he learns. Now, there are parents who think that if you punish a child, I've got a, one, one woman I've been dealing with, and she goes, I don't discipline my children because I don't want them to hate me. And I said, that's... No, 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 no. I've said about my teaching days, when I was a teacher, I was the strictest in the school. But not with anger. I don't like those type of things, because to me, once you get angry, then they make fun of you because you've lost it. I would never do that. And I would stare. Just Sometimes all I would do was just stare, and they would just stop. Oh, but St. Porfirio says if you stare at them with anger, who says I've got anger? I just said I stared at them. Didn't get angry. My face didn't become deranged with one eye up, one eye down. When my face looks like I'm going to kill him. But the funny thing was that when I would go to a new school and I started my discipline, they would say, oh, we're not used to it. Other teachers never do that. Why? So I, it was a bit, bit of work. Once you were established at a school, it was easier. But my rule was I don't want anyone to speak. Funny today... Same rule. I don't want anyone to speak. Secondly, I don't want anyone to call out. Same thing. I don't like people calling out. Plenty of work on the board. Plenty of work. Plenty of homework, which now I think it's, and wasn't necessary, but anyway. Plenty of homework, plenty of work. And yet, those students, I did high school, respected me. They knew that I, that I was concerned, that I wanted them to do well. They didn't think I hated them. And as well, I had other kids, even druggies, who wanted to be in my class. Kids that were delinquents. They said, oh, sir, can I be in your class? But I said, but I'm strict. What would you want to be? I need that. I need someone to be strict because they just let us do whatever we want. We don't learn anything. While your kids are learning a lot. See, that's what I try to make parents understand. When you're strict properly, your children are going to respect you more. Years ago, one woman, she never hardly disciplined her children, her child. She was very weak and she let the child just 
step all over her because she didn't want the child to say that his mum's mean or bad or whatever. So she just didn't discipline him. And, one, and I told her, don't do that. You're going to be sorry. You're going to be sorry. And one day it happened. The child said to her, um, you make me sick. Your weakness makes me sick. The child turned out that even though he was getting away with everything, in its soul, it understood that this mother wasn't proper. And that he would have respected her more if she was more firm. And another woman I had, she had a few children, and she was doing the same. I don't want them to think I'm bad, you know, to turn off the internet or uh, whatever. I said, go there, pull out the plug, not with anger, not with that, and you say, that's it with it. And what happened? The children got upset, a bit of faces, a bit of art, and after a while, talking to her, having a good relationship with her, opening up with her. Kids want that. Kids want some strictness in a good way. Children need boundaries. They feel safe. They don't feel safe where people is just all chaos. That's wrong if you have that idea. Not excessive, as we said, not picking on everything, as we, were, as we heard. With love, with pain, with patience, when you're calm, but you have to punish as well, and the children will respect you more. One of the most inspiring teachers that I had when I was um, young, oh, I had one, his name was Mr. Arthur. I used to call him Buffet Arthur. That was my, that was my nickname. I didn't like him. He used to give the cane when I was in sixth class. But when he gave it, he would laugh and smirk. He enjoyed it. He made me sick. I couldn't learn anything. Actually, I came last in the class. Couldn't learn in that environment. I liked female teachers. I had a couple that were nice. I learned. I came first in social studies and all these things. As soon as I go into his class, because I had him in fourth class, then I had this teacher in fifth class, a lady. I loved her. Then sixth class, who did I have again? Wilfred Arthur. Both times I failed. But he had pleasure when he would discipline. But in year 10, I had a math teacher, was from America, was American, Mr. Love. And he would come to class, always neatly dressed, a tie, strict, but never angry, strict, and used to do the work. I came first, and I knew I was going to become a maths teacher from that. In Australia, we say maths teacher. Americans say math. I'm not used to it. But, see, that was inspiring. That was inspiring for me. I respected him. And all the others, no, they didn't. They were either they were too strict in a bad way or they were too slack in a bad way. But the problem today is how? That's what you're asking me, how? How do you know when to be strict, when not to be strict, how to punish, when to punish, when do you double the punishment? When don't you do things? You know, when I first went to, to school, I started teaching, and I used to say, okay, do as a punishment uh, 200 lines. I must not be bad or something like that. 200. 
And then later on, he used to come and go, what are you to do that? What do you do is just do 50. Just do 50, that takes around half of lunchtime and that's it. They're there, they know, and that's it. They won't do it anymore. See, sometimes we punish too much, too severe. Sometimes you've got to turn a blind eye, as the saints will say. All right, let's go on with St. Paisios. Let's say that a child likes to go up on a high chair. He doesn't sense the danger. If he gets a little spanking from his mother and when he again wants to climb up, he will look right and left to see, do they see me? And if no one sees him, he will remember the spanking he received and will restrain himself. He will say, I don't want to get another spanking. And so the fear becomes a restraint. The fear will make him or her not to do it and spares the infants from many things. So Elder Paisius did believe in some, a little bit, now and then a little bit, of spanking. When, however, children begin to understand, we must sit down with them and patiently explain things they can understand. That's one secret. You can't explain to a two-year-old, even a three-year-old, they're not mature enough. It depends on the maturity. Some children at three can understand more and some less. They develop differently. You can't have rules and say, okay, from then on, now we explain. From up to there, we spank. They do this. There's all these things, but how do you know when and how? And the same with adults, when I deal with adults. Some adults, you can sit and explain to them and they respond. But some adults, I'm sorry to say, they don't understand. So I have to sometimes use harsh words, sometimes use discipline, like say you can't commune until you stop. Or some will have to tell them, sorry, I can't help you anymore, go somewhere else. That's, and that's after many years, which I have done. So see, it's similar. Don't say, oh, what do you know? How do you understand? I, I do know. I deal with this every day. St. Porfirio says, you must tell the truth for a person to learn it. Otherwise, you leave him in his ignorance. When you tell someone the truth, he finds his bearings, his direction. He takes care, he listens to other people and he restrains himself. And so, to a child also, you must tell the truth and scold it. Scold means reprimand. Correct it, so that it knows that what it's doing is not good. See that? And parents do really fail in that. I do tell people when they're doing wrong, but sometimes I'm a little bit, I lack a bit of tact. Sometimes I just say it straight out. I can be a bit better to improve in that. There are people who will not correct their children at all. They won't tell them the truth. I remember years ago I was talking to a child, a boy, he was around um, 18, and he was starting to show certain thoughts. Like he was kept on thinking the same thing. I said, don't think that's not a good thought. But he just kept on going, kept on going, kept on going. I said, that's not a good thought. 
So what did I do? I spoke the truth. The truth is very enlightening. This truth sanctifies. I said to the child, listen, with pain, patient pain, I said, listen, your mum's got the same problem. It's a mental sickness which is in her family. She has the same problem. She thinks of the same thing all the time. She can have a thought about something for 10 years. The same thought. And whatever you tell her, she won't budge from that thought. So I said to the child, look, so your mother's side, they do have mental problems. You will have those same mental problems because it's genetic. You're going to have to work on it. That's cruel, some of you will say. That's cruel. I remember another, I was talking to a, a young lady, a girl around 16 maybe, and I was telling her that because she was showing signs that she was just not functioning properly and all that, and I said to her, look, you know, your family does have some mental problems, and um, look at your mum, like she can't really bring up the children properly, but she tries, she loves you and all that, but she does have some inadequacies. You will probably have the same, and I don't think you'll be able to get married. Is that cruel? Some of you say that that is really cruel. Cruel if I'm speaking harshly. Cruel if I'm, not if I'm saying to her, look, I don't know, maybe God's got other plans, but as it stands, you cannot take stress. I said to this girl, but she's only 16, you will say. Well, later on, she became 20, 21, 22. I was right, she couldn't take stress. She would break down. I said, how are you going to handle a husband? How are you going to handle children? How are you going to get married? The slightest thing you break. If, you, if you're breaking now for little things as a single person, how are you going to go through the pressures of marriage, which is one of the hardest things in the world? to keep a marriage and to be able to do it. It was, sounds cruel, but it's the truth. And I said it to her nicely. And then I spoke to, if I remember right, because it was years ago, I spoke to her mother the next day without telling her what I said. Oh, by the way, I, I tell the parents that I tell them what I tell the kids. I want them to know. So they don't think I'm doing behind their back, whatever. I tell them. I said to her, um, uh, yesterday I spoke to your daughter. She goes, oh, yeah, I saw her on the phone. I told her some things. How was she after? She goes, oh, how was she? Because I was thinking maybe logically one can say she was depressed, upset, despairish, angry. So how was she? What do you mean? Happy. Do you know what I told her? I said, she probably won't be able to get married. She goes, really? She was happy. Why was she happy? What do you think? Freedom. Truth. In a proper way, the truth makes people um, free. She doesn't have to feel the pressures now that she's 
got to get married. She can have the possibility that she doesn't have to get married. Because that's also difficult for someone who can't cope with life. They go, I would like to have, get married to a man and have a family and all that. But how can I bring up the children? How? So that gives them kind of pressure. But in her mind, she thought, I have to get married because that's what society does. And I said to her, no, you don't have to get married. You probably won't be able to. God knows, but that's a freedom. This truth will set you free. Speak, and what we read last week in Talk 75 of Elder Porfirios, tell your children the truth. Don't lie to them. Tell them the truth. Don't praise them for them. Oh, good, you're really good. I've got people that you, they're so saturated with this self-love. They love themselves, whatever. And even though they're failing, they still think that they're great. And I say, what's wrong with them? And I, and I work it out and I say, when you were young, were you praised? So there was one guy who was told when he was young from his mother, you are the most handsome, you are fantastic, and this and that. And he had like a bit of a, he had nice eyes and all that, and some girls were attracted to him a little bit. And what happened, as he grew up, he developed into really ugly. Sorry, but he was very ugly. God permitted that to protect him. But he still thought he was good looking. It was very difficult. And then after a while, it finally cracks and they go, I'm ugly. I go, good, now, now I'm your friend because <laughs> you're in reality. See, you might think, but that's cruel. It's not cruel. Depends how you say it. And so, to a child also, you must tell the truth and scold it, reprimand, correct it, so that it knows that what it is doing is not good. What does Solomon say? Elder Providius now continues. He that spares the rod hates his son, but he that loves him reprimands him diligently. Proverbs chapter 13, line 24. I don't mean, of course, for you to beat the child with a stick. Then we overstop the bounds and produce the opposite result. So there's a special part that Christians take that's in Proverbs, which says that a parent who doesn't reprimand the rod can mean hidden, but also can mean to tell the child what he's doing wrong. If it says, he that spares the rod doesn't use it, whether it's in the form of smacking or reprimanding, if he doesn't reprimand his son or daughter, then he that spares the rod hates his son. When you don't correct the children, in reality, you hate them because you're doing bad to them. Only when you hate someone do you wish them bad. But you say, but a parent doesn't hate the child. Indirectly, that's what it's doing because it's damaging the child. You are setting that child up for failure for the rest of its life. So if you love your child, you will discipline the child just like God disciplines all of us through cancer, through afflictions, through problems. That's how God does it. And people say, oh, God is cruel because he gets... No, it's love. It's love. So that's what we need to know. St. Porfirio says, Children are not edified, they're not benefited by constant praise. They become self-centred and vain. 
All their lives they will want everyone to be praising them constantly, even if they are being told lies. Even if they've been told lies, the children still like it. And thereafter, even as adults. Unfortunately, nowadays, all people have learned to tell lies and the conceited, the proud, accept those lies as their daily bread. Like you eat every day to live, people that have been brought up like this, they can't live without praise. You have to. They want praise continually. This is what parents do. You need to tell children the truth, but not in a bad way. And I do that all the time. I don't have bad results. I don't have bad results. If, it's, if you do it properly, with love, as I say, properly and all that, you tell the children the truth. Like, for example, certain children I notice, they got, they're not very smart. They're slow. That's how they're born. You know, it's, even the, the psychologists say, how you are is pretty much what you are. So if you've got an IQ, I just said, let's just make it up, of 100, then you might make that child a tiny bit smarter with education or a little bit slow if it doesn't get education. Basically, it stays the same. You can't build. You can't make a child smarter than what the way it is after it's been brought up from seven years old, the way it is, genetics and all that. So I said to this boy, when he grew up, I said, look, you know, you've got a problem you're slow. You're a bit slow. You're not going to go to university. But that doesn't matter. Dick Smith, for example, big businessman, he hated school. He wasn't good at school, but he was a businessman. Everyone's got different gifts. And I said to him, God will show you what you're meant to do. But you're not going to be able to do that because as a teacher, I mean... I even tried to help with a little bit of maths. It just couldn't grab. Just couldn't grab. That's my profession, I should know. Just couldn't do it. Now, some people can be underachievers because of what they're going through, and that, but you can usually, you can tell if a child's got some intelligence there. He couldn't even open himself up. He couldn't explain what he felt. He couldn't, he couldn't explain. No. And I said to him the truth. I said, you just have to accept that and don't have a fantasy of things that aren't going to happen. See, that's the truth. Did it go and jump off a cliff? Or no, no. The truth doesn't make people get upset if it's done properly. Continues, Elder Perry says, say it even if it's not true. Even if it's ironical, even if you're being sarcastic and you're saying lies, still people that love these praises, they accept it and they're happy. God does not want this. What doesn't God want? What doesn't God want? Lies. What does God want? He goes on. God wants truth. God wants truth, not lies. Unfortunately, not all people understand this and they do the very opposite by lying, in other words, by lying to their children. St. Clement of Alexandria in the year 211, we're talking about 1,807 years ago. 
It is true that we love our own children very much, much more than anything else. But those who speak only gentle words to them do not love their children enough. Those who speak only gentle words. See this, remember last year, what I said about the praising? How I said there was a whole, 60s in the 60s, a whole movement on praising children and giving them all positive things and all that, and they thought this was going to help them, and it produced a bunch of mentally disturbed, sick people. We went through all that in Talk 75, which I must admit, I learnt a lot from that talk. I, I, that was a very good talk. You might say, oh, does that mean that you are praising yourself? No, because when I do the talk, if it's successful, not because of me. Anyone can put a bunch of information together. This takes a long time to prepare these things, to link it and to work it all out. Actually, I suffer a lot of times because I just sometimes I just can't work it out. Sometimes it's happened that I can be just two days before the talk and I go, this is a mess. How am I going to present this? I, it's not connecting. I, I can't work it out. And what happens? Humility. What does humility give? God's grace. And then suddenly I say to the person that's helping me type, do the following. Put that there, do this, blah, 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 done. Was that for me? So... I learnt a lot from that last talk. That was very, very good. 75 on praise, to praise children, not to praise children. So if you only speak gentle words, St. Clement says, you don't love your children properly. On the other hand, those who correct them strictly are hurting them at the moment, but doing them good for the future. Obviously, sometimes when you discipline children, they're going to be upset. They're going to be... Um, uh, her, I mean, look, I said before, when you tell them the truths, they don't get up. No, they do. Sometimes they do get a little bit upset. Yeah, that's true. But later on, they accept. Our Lord did not seek what is comfortable today for us. Rather, he sought for us a good future. So let us follow his educational method inspired by love. God, when he came to earth, he did not teach just things that were comfortable and nice. He also taught harsh things because he was looking at our future. And what's our future? Salvation. So yes, sometimes the children will get hurt and all that. Um, in general, depends on each child. Some accept easily, some they get hurt, they get upset. But later on, well, when God acts on them because you said the truth, that child is enlightened and will accept it. And that's educational method inspired by love. Sometimes you've got to be, like we say, I don't like the expression, cruel to be kind, I'll change it. Sometimes you have to be strict, reprimand, Scold, say the truth, it can be hurting, discipline, punish, but this is inspired by love. 
which is what all the Porfirios and all the Paisios said, and all the Thaddeos, with love, reprimand the children with love, scold them with love, with patience, etc. All comes in together, and even St. Clement says the same thing. Parents who don't discipline their children don't have the proper love for them. Elder Epiphanius, deal with children as with colts. Colts are male young horses. And as you know, that when the horses, when they're young, they're not broken in. So they're like wild. Sometimes tightening and sometimes loosening the reins, you know, the straps. Sometimes you tighten them, sometimes you loosen them. So Elder Epiphanius is trying to say that children are like little, like little wild horses sometimes. Sometimes you tighten the reins, sometimes you loosen them. When the colt kicks, we loosen the reins without letting go. Otherwise, they will break, snap the reins. When, however, the colt is calm, then we can pull the reins and take it wherever we wish. The definition of reins are, reins are used to slow and direct an animal. Not that children are animals. They're using a metaphor, like an analogy. What does this mean? When the child is unruly, if you're too strict on it, you're going to snap the reins, you're going to lose the child. Sometimes you've got to let go a bit. In other words, the child's going a bit wild, sometimes you've got to let go a little bit, and you're trying to go, but not let go altogether, just let go a little bit. See, when I was at school, like discipline, if a child was really bad, obnoxious, etc., I won't talk to that child the same as I talk to other children because it's wild and I will make it worse when they're a bit quiet and a bit more manageable. I can say things to it that I wouldn't say when it's wild. See, because you can break them. When the colt kicks, I'll change it. When your child kicks, we loosen the reins without letting go. You're still there, you're still trying to hold the child, but you're trying to guide it while it's wild. When it's calm, then you can guide the child better. St. Paisios, parents cannot help their children by force. They suffocate them. When they're constantly hovering over them, no, not this, no, not that, do this, do it this way. They're not helping the children. They should pull on the reins gently enough so they won't break. I did this on purpose. St. Paisius is using the word reins. Elder Epiphanius is using the word reins. Both use the same word. Did they discuss it? No. So, listen to this. So they should pull on the reins gently enough so they won't break. They can keep watch over the children to keep them in line, but without creating a distance between them. What do you mean a distance? When you're too strict with children, especially when they're a bit unruly, you can make the children not like you. It can make the children be separated from you. You've got to know exactly when to pull back, when to let go. That's the problem. People don't know when. That's the purpose of the talk today. How? When do you pull back? When do you tighten? 
say, uh, homeschool children, for example, in general, they haven't been influenced from schools and all that, they're easier. You can be stricter with a homeschool child than what you are with a child that's gone to school who's seen disobedience, who sees other kids swearing, kids talking back to teachers. They're brought up with all that. So you can't now expect to say to that child, you're not going to do that when, when that's what it sees all day. So you're trying to tighten the reins by saying, don't you dare talk to me like that, whatever, whatever, and then snap, the reins snap and you lose the child together. While homeschool children, for example, a lot of them you can say, um, don't do that, I don't want you to do that, and it listens. But if you do the same for um, another child, which is a bit wild, it will get worse. See, you've got to be careful. Like some countries, some Asian countries, children are brought up, respect for elders, respect like, um, which countries? China, is it? China, um, other countries like that. And like Fatini is a special English teacher, so she has all these kids from different countries. And she says, you can just see it. They, they, some of the Asians, they won't even look you in the eye because it's disrespectful. All she has to do is look at them and they will put their heads down and they will tremble because that's their culture. So you can do more with them. You can guide them with the reins. But when you have our kids, a lot of them that have been brought up in that, you can't be able to do exactly the same. It's going to be harder. Saint Dorotheos, who, who um, died around 565, looking at about 15, 1500 years ago, he says he was an abbot of a monastery. His advice was to monastics. But I picked this because it really helps. When mistakes occur, do not be greatly annoyed, but calmly show the damage the mistake caused. So he's saying when you have to discipline a monk, then don't get annoyed, greatly annoyed. You can get a bit annoyed, but not greatly annoyed. But calmly show the damage the mistake caused. The damage might be to the other's brothers in the monastery, damage to their soul. If you are forced to reprove someone, in other words, if as the abbot you are forced to reprimand one of the monks, discipline them, because you are responsible for their soul, try to find the right time for it. Here's another bit of advice. Speak to the children at the right time. Not when they're wild at, the, at that moment or whatever, just wait. Get, get the right time. Do not be strict about small mistakes or be inflexible. This is advice of an abbot in a monastery, Abbot Dorotheos, who is saying exactly the same thing that Elder Thaddeus, Elder Porfirios, Elder Epiphanius, Elder Paisios are saying for parents with their children. Don't be strict about small mistakes. Don't be inflexible. Don't make a rule like, okay, don't speak in prayer. You might have a rule, don't speak in prayer. And the child might, accidentally something might happen, I don't know, whatever. And then you go wild on it because that's the rule. So you've got to be, well, why did it speak? Maybe it's tired. Maybe it got bitten by a mosquito. Maybe it's sick. 
Maybe one of the other children punched it. You know, you don't have inflexible rules. Don't pick on it for small mistakes. This is what the abbot's saying about the monks. Do not reprimand continuously. Now, this next part, I never knew. This next part really, really opened my eyes. And I realised the mistakes I've made. See, I, I would confess my mistakes and I expect you to do the same. Don't say, oh, he's judging us. And, you know. I've made mistakes. Listen to this. Don't reprimand continuously. He's saying, don't reprimand the monks continuously. Now, let's take it over. Don't reprimand your children continuously. This is annoying and endless criticisms lead to insensibility and contempt. Because I often realise, I say, you know, out of love but not proper love, out of concern, I would sometimes reprimand someone for something continuously. And then that person, I noticed, became very hard. And sometimes they can have become hateful, contempt. Now we, we transfer that to the parents. When the parents are continue yap, 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 telling the kids, those children can become insensible. What does insensible mean? Indifferent, numb, dead. I never knew that. And that to me shows how many mistakes I made. Do you, have any, do you have the guts to admit that you've made that mistake? Does anyone want to put up their hand? One? Okay, getting a few hands there, that's it. We have made the children to become insensitive. That's why you just say, why doesn't it feel what I'm saying? Because we made it dead. Through over-reprimanding. And contempt. What does contempt mean? Aversion, hatred. Do not give orders in a domineering manner, in a bossy manner, but in humility, taking counsel with the brother. Words based on this are effective and more persuasive and comforting to our brother. Now I say for the children. Do not give orders to your children in a domineering way. Do this, do that, like a big boss. But in humility. But how? That's the problem. How, how, exactly how do you do that? Taking counsel with the brother. What does that mean? Taking counsel with the brother means sitting down and explaining to them why you want them to do Things like that. Taking counsel. A lot of parents just say, do this, this and this. And the children go, why? Because I said it. That's what I want. Take counsel with the child. It means sit down with the child and say, look. Like for example, there's a case. The child wants to always go on the YouTube 
YouTube, YouTube, all the time. I want YouTube, YouTube. It's only very young. And the parents say, no, it's too much. Maybe a couple of minutes. And they, no, but why? But why, why can't I see it? They can't just say, because I said so. What did I explain to these parents? I said, explain to the child that it has an addictive personality. Explain to them what addictive means. It's got an addictive personality and it will become addicted to the YouTube like many other children have become addicted and it will ruin its life. Explain that. Not with irritation, not with shouting, with pain, concern, and say to the child, I don't want you to become addicted. And I even said to those parents, show him the 60 minutes, there was a 60 minutes on um, children that are addicted to um, computer games. I said, show it to him. If he wants to see YouTube, let him watch that. And um, that's it. See, tell the child the truth. But isn't that bad to say that uh, I even said, tell, tell them what drug addicts are and tell him he's going to become, he's got an addictive and he can become addicted to gambling, to drugs, to alcohol, to, if they're older, you can tell them pornography, but when they're young, no. They can become addicted to drugs, etc. Some children are, have addictive personalities. That, that child, he's got, he's addictive. He's got an addictive personality. Addictive personality. Truth. Oh, but it's only 10 years old. How can you say to a 10-year-old that it might become a drug addict? Oh, 10 years old. Um, children today at 10 years old know so much. Did you hear about the big uh, catastrophes in the schools now? It was all in, it was, I think it's in the media a bit. Because of pornography and the stupid parents that allow their kids to watch internet unsupervised, kids are watching pornographic material and kids that are in first class are performing oral sex on other children, raping other children at first class. You know what first class is? That's six, seven years old. Because that's what they're seeing on the TV, because the dopey parents are allowing them. See, there I'm, I'm harsh. There I'm harsh. That's inexcusable. That's not like, oh, Father, you know, I, just, I talk to my child, but I keep on slipping, I get angry. I understand that. I do the same. But when they leave him unsupervised to watch pornography on the internet, that does not... That's not gentle. You don't speak gentle. You understand that that's going on in schools. Children are raping other children. Elder Paisio said, I read one of the books with his teachings, he said that he believes that a lot of the boys become homosexuals today is because they're left unsupervised with other boys unsupervised. What does he mean by that? He means that the children are left unsupervised and they as children start 
mucking around with each other, touching each other, showing each other things, and then they get used to having pleasure by doing things with other males. They can grow up like that. So they're also born like that, by the way. But these are the things unsupervised. St. Porphyrius says we are told not to scold children, not to go against their will and not to tell them what to do. The child learns to expect this, however, and is unable to deal maturely with even the slightest difficulty. He says we are told. What does he mean we are told? By psychologists and educators, for example, like I said in that movement, we are told that you don't tell children. You don't go against their will. Just let them do whatever they want. He says, when you do that, the child expects that and, it, and is unable to deal maturely with even the slightest difficulty. What does that mean? When it grows up, it can't be told. For example, works in an office, you did that wrong. Medication, hosp they have to go to the doctor to get... Um, that, it's not exaggeration. A lot of people are on antidepressants and anxiety relief medication because... Oh, but maybe they were harmed when they were young. Yes, that's true. Some of them were. Maybe some of them were molested. Maybe some of them were bashed. That's true. Let's leave them to the side. They were harmed. How were they harmed? Because they were never told what they're doing is wrong and they were always praised. And they're harmed. And then later on in life, they cannot cope. They need medication to deaden their minds so that they will not feel the pain of reprimand. Yes, there are adults, there's some in, some in here, there are some in here, who cannot take reprimand. They cannot be told their faults. And a lot of them need to take alcohol, or they go and get legal drugs from the, or some take illegal drugs, have to be in oblivion. I don't want to feel, I don't want to feel people's criticism of me. I can't be told my faults. So they take those drugs, antidepressants, etc., so they will not feel the pain of being told their faults because they were not told when they were young. That's dangerous. I know I've dealt with a lot of people and I can, I pretty much can guarantee not everyone, but the majority of people on medication is because they cannot be told their faults. It is worse than when AIDS hit the world. It's worse than Cancer. Cancer, you can get sick, get cancer, confess, commune, and off you go. But this disease of ego, e egotism, where you can't be told your faults, that blocks the grace of God. Remember what I read last, last time, last year, what Elder Porfirio said? Egotists cannot be Christians. They cannot be given grace. 
Now, we all suffer from egotism. I got egotism at times. I don't like being told things, but you've got to work on it. You've got to put yourself down and say, no, that's true what that person's saying. Ask God for help. Help me to accept it. Help me to see my faults. And we don't do that. That's cruel when you do that to your children. That's absolutely cruel. You're, you're, you're destroying your children when you do that. Or as a spiritual father, if I don't do the same, if I see faults in someone and I don't say anything, ooh, I'm going to give word. Saint Cosmas of Italia, which is my, the saint I was named after, he was a Greek saint, when he would go around and preach during the time of the Turks, and he would say to the people, you know, I'm, I have to tell you your faults, because if I don't, Christ will put me in hell for not doing my duty as a priest. But how you say it is the, is the problem, isn't it? And it says here, the child expects this, in other words, to be praised and not to be told it's fault, and is unable to deal maturely with even the slightest difficulty. As soon as it encounters opposition, as soon as the child encounters, or the adult child, or the adult, whatever, encounters opposition, like you shouldn't do that, no, you don't do that, whatever, it's against, someone goes against their will, in other words, it is defeated and drained of all strength, breakdown, completely drained. And hence, the cocaine, hence, the drugs, there are, there are certain drugs which, because people are always feeling drained from their ego, I think cocaine is like a, like speed, I think it, Picks them up. Is that correct? I think it's that. Is that the one? Certain drugs. Certain drugs give you, what do you call them? Yeah, it gives you a high. I like that. As soon as the child or adult encounters opposition to its will, it is defeated and drained of all strength. Why do you think the young or people, adults as well, job to job. Stay there a few months, go to the next job, because it was criticised. Sophia, is there a problem there? What, what's happening? I know, but people get distracted a bit. So you reprimand. <laughs> no, I won't say anything, because I'm a humble monk. I'll sit here and do prayer and hope that she sits down. Doesn't work like that. I'm only using that as an example. Um, I've got to tell her. You can't just it distracts people. Did you get distracted? Yeah. Are you distracted now that you sat down? No. So I've got to say it. I said it as a joke, a bit nicely. But if she does it again and again and again, then we've got to start using the big guns. But she won't. <laughs> She won't, hopefully, but if she does, we pull out the big guns. Excuse me, can you sit down? You're distracting everyone. So, see, that's how it is. Nice, be nice, a little bit stricter. Bishop Irenaeus, the one that wrote the book on the upbringing of children, don't add to a fair punishment, scornful ridicule, 
or biting reproaches. Don't add, when you're punishing a child, don't be sarcastic. Don't make fun of the child. Don't be using bitter words. One such incident can harden a child's heart and extinguish every trace of love. Very powerful words. What did the other saints say earlier on? Don't keep on reprimanding the child because it will make the child insensitive. And he's saying here, don't be sarcastic. Don't be making fun of the child. Now, when I'm reprimanding, have I fallen into that? Yes. As a human, yes, I've used that. How do I feel later? Yucky. Not a good spirit because it's not, it's not of God. But I have fallen into it. How many of you fall into that? Where you're actually speaking to your children with some sarcasm and some making fun or, or um, bitter, with bitter words? How many of you have done that? There's one hand, two. Okay, there it is. Again, the, the couple over here don't put their hands up because not, not, not time, but they'll, they'll fall. See, when you've got no children, it's easy to judge. It's just part of nature. I would guess that they would be judgmental a bit of parents and say, oh, you know, that he might say to his wife, Anastasia, did you notice Irene, how she spoke to her child? So harsh. Do you do that sometimes? Do you, do you judge people a little bit? Yeah, of course you do. Because if you didn't, if you said that you don't, I'd have to say you're lying. <laughs> of course you would do. That's what it is. We all do that. But when you have the children, oh, you change. Then you change. I understand because I do the same. I, I fall into that. Saint Gregory the Theologian in the year 391. In the year 391. I'm reading to you modern-day saints, and I'm reading to you ancient saints. So you can see that Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Same. The Holy Spirit is the same. St. Gregory the Theologian is one of the three, as we say, ecumenical, not ecumenism, teachers of all orthodoxy, not just of one country like Russia or Greece, these are recognised by the whole church, the whole Orthodox Church. Basil the Great, John Chrysostom, and Gregory the Theologian. Let's see what St. Gregory's got to say. We must choose our words in a wise and Christian manner. Every harsh and hostile word is a preparation for problems on a larger scale. When you use on your children harsh and hostile words... You are preparing that child for problems in the future. Continue. And just as we mould our children's character from infancy so that they will turn from immoral behaviour, so too in dealing with words we must not react in an ignorant and rash manner when small issues are involved so as not to make it a habit in greater ones. What does he mean by that? When you yap, 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 tell the child off for little things, when it comes to the big things later on, 
the child's just going to hear the voice and say, there she goes again, just yapping. You're, you're making the child used to the reprimands and because you're just saying silly things sometimes. Why are you sitting like that? Why did you do this? Or why did you... You know, it's, it's just all the time. And then the child becomes insensitive when it comes time for the big issues. It is easier to hold out against a vice from the very start and avoid its assault than to beat it back and gain the upper hand against its advances. Now, that was a bit complicated and I had to think and think and think as I rewrote it. It's easier to resist a passion in the beginning of a child's life when the passion is weak than to allow that passion to become strong and then later on to try and uproot it where it's too powerful. So when you see in the child laziness when it's young, work on it when the passion's weak. When it's still young, work on it then. But if you don't, that laziness will become deeply rooted and after that it's going to be very hard to take out. Like a garden, you know, when you've got trees, certain trees that you don't want, if you allow it to grow too much, it becomes harder to uproot it. Just take it out when it's fresh. The problem is how? How do you uproot it? Anyway, Saint Yakovos of Evia is a newly canonised saint. He died in 1991. Some people I know have met him, very humble. He used to speak to the saints like he was speaking to a person. Very simple, very faithful. He was from the island, his monastery, Saint David, in Evia. This Evia, as I said, that's where my mother's from, but Evia's... Saint Porphyrius went to Evia. Saint David, the saint, is from is is the monastery of Evia. Saint Yakovos, Saint Nectarius preached in Evia. Saint Porphyrius started his to become a spiritual father in Evia. So I'll read it quickly. So I won't explain much because we've got to move on. From time to time, for clerical or medical reasons. Saint Yaakovos would travel to and fro the capital city of Evia, which is Halkida. He used to leave his monastery to go to Halkida for ecclesiastical reasons or medical reasons. Saint David's monastery, where Elder Yaakovos was, is up north of Evia. Then you've got halfway, about halfway, is Halkida, which is the capital, which is where it joins with a little bridge to go into the main part of Greece. And then my mother's from down, the, down lower down there. Um, during his journey, he would always stop over to venerate St. John the Russian. St. John's relics are in Evia. St. John was a Russian, and he was captured by the Turks. He died, and then when the Greeks were thrown out of Turkey, they brought his relics and settled in the village there in Evia. And they got his relics there. And the road to go to Halkida, St. Yaakovus used to pass by the church of St. John the Russian. One day at noon, on his way back from Halkida, he passed by St. John's church. He entered devoutly, lit a large candle, and proceeded to the main temple on the left side. He approached the reliquary, where the saint's relics are, his completely incorrupt whole, his whole body. Um, 
there for a while, praying. Some people who had also lined up to venerate the saint grew impatient at the delay. The elder got up, kissed the holy relic, and passed on the other side of the reliquary so as not to be an obstacle to the other people that were in a hurry. He stood there looking with gladness at the saint's head. However, he noticed that the holy relic shifted around and changed positions depending on the person venerating it. This was spiritual. No one else saw that. And then Elder Yaakov says, My saint, why do you permit some to touch you with their lips? To some you stretch out your hand towards them. Others you turn your head to look at them. You smile at some. And still others you reject them by turning away your head. Now, everyone obviously that was going there would kiss the relics. But he was noticing something spiritual. And immediately received the reply from St. John. Yaakovos, not everyone who comes forth does so to venerate me. Some approach me devoutly, some and some others come with their hands crossed behind their backs, while others come just out of curiosity. So it depends on the soul's disposition. Father Yaakovos was made worthy of this sign several other times as well. That is, he could see the holy relic assuming a welcoming or rejecting position depending on the internal state of the person approaching it, on the soul, in other words. In fact, every time the elder visited the shrine, he would not be left without having some divine sign from St. John. On one occasion, 1990, he passed by to venerate the saint on his way back from Athens, where he had gone for some medical examinations. A line of people was also waiting to venerate the saint. Father Yaakovos knelt before the reliquary and stayed there praying for some time. Some women grew impatient with the delay, but suddenly uh, stepped back in fear, saying, the bones are squeaking, the bones of the saint are squeaking. So they heard noise coming from the relics, which sounded like bones. I think the same with St. Nectarius. People used to say that when they used to go to the saint before... You know, in his um, marble coffin there, whatever it was, thing, that people would hear noises inside. Father Yaakovos heard this, stood up, and very naturally said, my Christians, the saint is alive. He just changed side. Don't be afraid. St. John the Russian made the blessed elder worthy of dialogue with him, and more than that, I've seen him alive in full figure. Once when the elder was coming back from some medical examination, he passed, as always, by St. John's shrine to venerate him. He knelt before his reliquary, and after a while he was told by St. John, as the elder himself related, this is what St. Yaakovos said, he said that St. John spoke to him and said, Do you think that I bless everyone who comes here? Behold, the woman who just now venerated me along with her children... I do not bless. Why, said Elder Yaakovos, why? Because she curses her children. Now, curse could be go to hell. Curse can be even get lost, depends on what's in your heart. Curse can be, oh, I wish you were never born. So a lot of times we could be cursing someone even though we might not Strictly in the sense of cursing by saying, 
uh, go to the devil, is what a lot of Greeks say. Or go to hell, as people say here. You know, things like that. So why I picked this story for you is because I wanted to say that uh, St. John would not bless those who would curse their children, but cursing can also mean reprimanding in a vicious, horrible way. Father Yaakov was heard this, stood up and very... Oh, we said that, didn't we? Um, because she curses her children. Prerequisites. What's a prerequisite? Something that you officially must have or do before you can have or do something else. Prerequisites to enter university. For example, you have to have certain subjects, certain scores. Here in New South Wales, it's called ATAR. In America, they call it SAT scores. Prerequisite for engineering, for example, is mathematics, physics, chemistry. You need a lot of prerequisites for dentistry. You have to have a minimum 99.5 ATAR result. In other words, you've got to come in the top 0.5% of New South Wales to get into, into New South Wales University or things like that. Prerequisites for police, firefighters, armed force. You've got to have physical strength, psychologically be strong, academic requirements. Prerequisites for certain jobs, they might say you have to have a driver's licence, you might have to have very good at English, uh, you have to have good communication skills. So what's all that about? Now, two things. Either that's a paper that slipped into my notes accidentally from my desk. <laughs> Could be. Or I put it there on purpose. But wait a second, it can't slip in because... The previous page was page 20, and this is page 21. Now, I put there on purpose. So what's all that about? Prerequisites. Because I want to, I want to touch on this. What is the prerequisite for marriage? What is the prerequisite for bringing up children? Like everything needs prerequisites, but for marriage... And for children, no prerequisites. Anyone can do it. Just get married. Don't look at the background. Don't look at whether the person's got abilities, which is why I did that talk, number 12, whom to marry, whom not to marry. Doesn't matter. As long as you've got love, whatever. There's no demand of prerequisites. So what are the prerequisites? That's what I'm coming to. And this will help us answer also, what do you do? How do we know how much to discipline? How do we know what to say? How do we know not to say? When do you say it? When not to say it? Let's see if we can get a clue. I'm going to say, I'm going to read this, and you're going to tell me the magic word. There's one word there, which I think, yep, you ready? It would be good if the parents indicated to the child that they do get upset over unacceptable behaviour. But they mustn't become overbearing, which is what I said before. It's good for the parent to say, I'm not happy with that behaviour. That's no good what you're doing. Explain why. But what did it say earlier? With pain, with love, with patience. But they mustn't be overbearing, which is what I said before, the harshness. So I'll say that again. It would be good if the parents indicated to the child that they do get upset over unacceptable behaviour, but they mustn't become overbearing. And, of course, they should continue to pray. 
Prayers spoken with pain are effective. If the child does something very serious, the parents must intervene appropriately. If it isn't so serious, they can overlook it a little, so as not to provoke the child and make the situation worse by causing the child to distance himself from them. Now, there was a word there which was used that has not been used in the, what we've already read. What was the word? Hmm? No, we've said that before. There was a word. It said pain and loves and all that we've mentioned before. But I never, there was one word that has not been mentioned in any of the other quotes. See how you miss things? That's why these talks are important. You read things and you miss things. Sorry? Yes. It would be good if the parents indicated to the child that they do get upset over unacceptable behaviour, but they mustn't become overbearing. And, of course, they should continue to pray. Prayers spoken with pain enough are effective. If the child does something very serious, the parents must intervene appropriately. If it isn't too serious, they can overlook it a, a little so as not to provoke the child and make the situation worse by causing the child to distance himself from or herself from them. What's the word? Pray. Pray. Prayer, that's the first prerequisite. That's the first thing I was going to say to you. They were going to say, we're going to find out how we do these. Prayer. See how you missed it? I had to read it twice. My mouth's dry. Twice. We, we missed it. See that, how, how we miss things? I probably would have missed it too. I'm not putting you down. I would have missed it. But I had to prepare talks, so I've got to scrutinise things. That helps me. Let's see what that's St. Paisius. Let's see what St. Paisius says in another part. There's another word you're going to hear. Okay. So these are prerequisites. This is what you need. This is why you don't know a lot of times what to do, how to do it. The first thing is, what's missing? What is it? Prayer. Prayer. Now, listen to the second word. The expression of love needs restraint. We've already heard that. So that's self-control. And discernment. True love is selfless. It does not include ourself and is prudent and discreet. Prudence is especially essential in the abundant love of a mother so it is not foolishly wasted. What was the word? Sorry? Discernment. That's the second prerequisite. That's, the, that, that's it. You can go home if you like or you can stay to listen to more. Prayer and discernment. Those are the two things. I can yap, and I've done already talk 22 on upbringing of children. That's 22, 70, 71, 72, 73, 74, 75. I've done seven talks with God's help on the upbringing of children. And I know that it's not going to work. It's not going to be what I want. And this is what I've been waiting to tell you. Because two things are missing. Prayer and discernment. Because it's discernment which tells us how much to love a child, when to discipline, when to speak, 
how to punish it. That's discernment. But how do we get discernment? Through prayer. And what do the majority of Orthodox Christians lack today? Prayer. And therefore, discernment. I know I deal with parents a lot. Hardly no prayer. They might do like reading prayers, but it's not, it's not in the heart. They sing, Heavenly King, O Comfort, O Holy God, Holy Mighty, Holy Mortal. It's the prayer. Prayers spoken with pain are effective. When a parent prays with pain, those prayers are effective to help the children and that's when God gives discernment. St. Paisios, the expression of love needs restraint. We've already dis discussed that. You just can't give the child all the love because, as we said, it just damages the child. The expression of love needs restraint and discernment. True love is selfless. It does not include ourselves and is prudent and discreet. Prudence is especially essential in the abundant love of a mother so it is not that the love is not wasted. Now, what's discreet? Discreet means careful, cautious. What's prudent? Prudent means that the parent has to be wise, sensible in action and thought, understanding and having forethought of the future, thinking about the future. That's what prudent means. So when you talk to the child, when you discipline the child, you have to have in mind the child's future. You have to have that the words are wise. Your actions have to be uh, proper. And to do all that, you need discernment. But to get discernment, you need prayer. Nowadays, young and old alike live as if they were in a mental institution, which is why great patience and much prayer are so necessary. This is St. Poesios. Again, prayer. Instead, some parents drive their children crazy like a clock that is a little damaged or faulty. The parents overwind it a little and springs inside break. So the child has some problems and the parents overwind the, the child, meaning that they discipline too much and break the springs. Discernment is essential in such matters. One child needs more winding while Another needs less. How do we know? That's what I was telling you before. How do we know? doesn't matter what I do with you today. I can tell you a lot of things. But each of your children are different. I can't give you formulas. I can tell you general things. It's up to you to ask God to give you discernment so that you know how to, to bring up your children. You have to ask, not me. I, I can't do that for you. I can't give you magic solutions for everything. That's why I didn't feel those talks. I thought those talks were good, but I knew deep down, unless those people are praying, unless those people ask God for discernment, they wouldn't know when to speak, when not to speak. Punish, when, how, how much. Each child's different. I can give advice to Natalia here for her child, who's the same age as Olga's child, Daniel, Natalia's Xenia, same age, what are they, eight or something? 
Daud. Ten and you are? Ten. Bloody problem is I can't give formulas. I can't say to those two mothers, this is what you do. You do this, 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 this. Not going to work. Because that boy is different to her daughter, to Natalia's daughter. Different backgrounds, different parents, different upbringing. I can't give formulas. What's necessary is discernment. The poor children are exposed to all of the influence of the world. They hear all sorts of messages outside. Don't respect your parents. Don't listen to the authorities. Don't respect anything. Then when the mothers try to tighten the reins, again the word reins, they rebel even more. So St. Paul is saying that the children are influenced so badly in the world. Don't respect your parents, they hear. Don't listen to the authorities. Don't respect anyone. And then the parents try to pull them in. But they say they tighten the reins and then those children rebel even more. You've got to let go a bit. The wilder they are, unfortunately, the less you can discipline them because it's going to become worse. See, it's a bit strange, isn't it? Oh, but I thought the more that they're wild, the more they're disciplined, the more harsh you are, the more strict. Let go a bit. Wait for the right time. Ask God to give you discernment. Pray and ask God, grant me discernment to know what to do with my children. Enlightenment is what we need, all of us need. Me when I deal with people, you when you deal with your children, even your adult children, your teenagers. Once they get a certain age, they're going to go out, they're going to listen to you. What are you going to do? Cage them up? You're going to chain them? You go to jail. You can't do that. Maybe you could do it in ancient Russia or Greece or something. Like you can chain them up the same way as you chain, chain donkeys. But not going to do, you can't do that. Not going to work. And the children of those days, they were nothing compared to today with all the influences, etc., Elder, the parents of this child are in much distress because of the life he is leading. Elder Epiphanius answers, tell the parents, much prayer, God will help. There do not exist people for whom hands are lifted up in prayer or knees are bloodied who are not led to repentance. It's hard to understand that, so I rewrote it. Tell the parents... Much prayer, God will help them. When hands are lifted up in prayer or knees are bloodied from being on the floor continually, prostrations or on the floor, for their children, whatever the age that is, you can be sure that those children will be led to repentance by God because of the prayers of the parent. Tell the parents much prayer. So the man said, Elder, those parents, they're really upset. They're very distressed because the child's gone wild. Probably teenager, who knows? Teenager. Tell the parents, much prayer, God will help. 
it's impossible for a parent to get on their knees and for God not to listen to that parent. That's what he's saying. Now, of course, it doesn't mean you're going to bloody your knees. It, some can happen. Your knees can hurt, for example, because you've got certain problems. That's painful. That's, that's a sacrifice. That's an expression, bloody your knees. It doesn't mean that you're going to aim to make your knees bleed. It means get on the ground, pray to God. Pray. Old Epiphanius continues in another part. Speak more to God about your children rather than to your children about God. So when the children are gone wild or whatever, whatever, if they're young a bit or teenagers, you want to speak to them about God. But God doesn't want this, God doesn't want that. You know, that's, that's good if they listen. But he said, speak more to God about your children. Sometimes it's better to say nothing to the children at times when they're really bad, even about God, and speak instead speak to God. Leave the children, speak to God about your children. For the correct Christian upbringing of your children, few words, plenty of examples, your own example, and more prayer unnecessary. Few words. Now, I've fallen into that where it's saying too much. That's not good. That doesn't do good. Just better sometimes just to do less words, especially if the person's not listening. There's no point anymore. If they listen, okay, you can say a little bit. But if, not, if they don't want to listen, that's it. Few words, plenty of examples, your own example. And more prayer necessary. St. Paisios, parents must pray to Christ and the Theotokos to protect their children. Metropolitan Neophytos of Morfu, the Cyprus, on that video, I remember as I was sitting with Elder Paisios that a distressed parent came and asked the elder, Elder, I have three children. As long as they were young, they were by my side. Now that they have entered adolescence, I have lost them, and at the same time I have my wife who continually complains because the children don't come with us to church. What should we do? And St. Paisios turned to him and said, Tell your wife, we sometimes guide the children strictly and sometimes with compassion, like softness, tolerance, kindness, gentleness. Up to the first years of adolescence. And he says, up to adolescence, you can talk more to the children, discipline them, correct them. But once they start going into puberty, a little bit older, some of them start younger, some of them start a bit older to start to rebel. He says, um, so when they're young, sorry, then you can guide them. So tell your wife, we sometimes guide the children strictly and sometimes with compassion up to the first years of adolescence. After that, we put a zipper on our mouth. That's how the Greeks say, zipper. It impressed me how he said zipper, says this man when he was a lay person. And St. Paisus continued, after puberty, words can be harmful and not beneficial. The father said, but 
are we not to say anything? And St. Paisus answered, let the knees do the talking. I was impressed, said the bishop when he was a lay person, with, this, with his answer. I am saying this and I moved. So as the bishop was saying this, you see it on the video if you watch, he was, he was really moved by the expression, let the knees do the talking. On the knees. This is, of course, when it's really bad, when they've gone off. They don't listen. You can talk to them a bit. Of course you talk to them. But if you can't, finished. That's it. On your knees. And zipper. That was very interesting. Now, as I said, some children can enter adolescence and they're still obedient. They're still listening. Some of them start rebelling, you know, 13, 14, 15, 16, 18. Some of them are still good and they're 18. You can't have a, a rule. I can't tell you a rule that from then on your child's going to become rebellious. I don't know when. What do you do? You ask God for help. Zippa, in other words, be quiet, get on your knees and ask God to, to help you. Elder Epiphanius, the soul of the adolescent is an explosion of freedom. So when the child starts becoming, you know, goes into puberty, it discovers freedom, do whatever it wants. I'm not going to, why should I listen to the parents anymore? For this reason, it receives various counsels with difficulties. In other words, because it's exploding with this discovery of freedom, it doesn't listen, doesn't listen to counsel, doesn't listen to the parents' advice. For this reason, it receives various counsels with difficulties. So instead of advising him constantly and scolding him every so often, throw the weight of your effort to the following. This is advice. This is Elder Bifanius. Present the problem to Christ, to the Mother of God and to the saints. Ask them to give your child wisdom, to enlighten them. In other words, what we said, Zippa, on your knees, Praying and asking God, the mother of God, the saints, the angels, help my children, enlighten them, give them wisdom, help them to understand that what they're doing is wrong. Because the words are going to not work. We said read before, too many words can make them hard. They lose love. But when? How? How do we know? When? When not to speak? How much? Discernment. How's God to help you? I can't give you formulas. It's impossible. Everyone's different. St. Paisio says, This is why I advise mothers not to pressure their children, but to pressure themselves instead and to pray more fervently. Instead of putting your effort into trying to force your children to do the right thing, he said, don't do pressure on them. Put pressure on yourself Force yourself to pray more. If they're always saying no to their children for the most unimportant things, or even unfairly, then when something serious is happening, for example, when the child is about to pour gasoline, petrol, on a fire, the child may not listen to the warning and suffer great harm. Now, it doesn't mean... that's a, I think it's an, like an analogy of the petrol. What it means is... If you keep on telling the children for smaller things, whether young or, or, or older, yap, yap, yap all the time, tell them, tell them, when something serious happens, which is dangerous, 
They're not going to listen to you because they're just sick and tired of the voice. That's what he's saying. So, yes, it can be when the child's about to throw petrol on the fire, which, where's the child going to get the petrol from? What he means is when there's about to become a disaster. I visited once a house in Melbourne and the father would um, sit down with the child every so often and say to him, and what does Christ want you to do? And the mother of God and this, and the child was going like that, just staring and nodding his head, completely cut off. I knew that. And he goes, you understand? Yep. And then, as soon as he goes, okay, you can go now, that was it. Didn't hear anything that he said. Didn't hear anything that he said. Because it's all the time. It was used to do it all the time. Even I got sick of it and I'm religious. You know, I couldn't, I couldn't listen to it. St. Paisus, parents should do all they can to help their children during adolescence and leave all that is beyond their power in the hands of God Almighty. Whatever is possible for you to do with your children, do it if you can. And whatever is not possible, leave it to God. When parents entrust their children to God, then God is obligated to help on matters which are not humanly possible. That to me is, I don't know, I feel like it's just too much. When parents give their children to God and say, help me, you take care of them. They do what they can, say what they can, do what they can, but whatever's humanly possible, everything else you leave to God. So if the child's taking drugs, basically that's it. What are you going to do? That becomes humanly on your side impossible. What are you going to do? Cage it up, as I said before. You can speak a little bit. Do what you can. Leave the rest to God. And say, God, please bring him or her out of this. I can't do anything. If, for example, the children are disobedient, the parents should entrust them to God and not to pressure them in any way. The mother should say in prayer, my Lord, my children won't listen to me. I can't do anything to help them. Please take care of them. That's the best. When we're in situations that humanly, it's just like something's possible. And we turn to God in those impossible times, that's the best prayer. Like you've got a financial crisis or something. You can't, that's it. You're going to take the house, the banks, you can't pay the loan because you lost your job or something, whatever. That's it. Humanly, you can't do anything. That's it. On your knees and you say, God, please help me in this situation. Those prayers are very powerful when all human ways are impossible. God loves when you run to him in those situations. But all these type of situations where you run to God when things are bad and impossible, you do as a single person. 
could have learned as a single person. So that when you get married, you just keep on going the same thing. But there are people who don't pray, they haven't learned, don't know, and all of a sudden they get married. And then all of a sudden they've got all these problems with their husband, with their wives, with their children, and they just smashed. Because they don't know how to pray. Prerequisite, prayer. I always say to people, they say, oh, Father, I'm, I want to get married. You know, your blessing, please. I go, oh, yeah, can you pray? Go, oh, I do a little bit, but tell me situations where you've prayed in difficult situations. Um, I can't think of any. And I say, don't get married. Don't get married. No, you will be smashed to smithereens. You will be smashed. You will not know what hit you. Preferably to be hit by a semi-trailer than, than to get married. Because the semi-trailer will be less painful than if you get married without prayer. And people are going there like a blind man entering into a situation without the walking stick or without the blind dog. How are they going? They're going to fall down continually. So that's where people go to marriage. No walking stick, no blind dog. In other words, no prayer. They don't know how to pray. And they're just going through marriage, knocking their heads, knocking this, knocking that, destroying their children, destroying their spouse. I just say straight out, don't get married. If you want, if you want to get married, start from now to lead a spiritual life. Remember the story I told you of the guy that came to me and he goes, oh, I want to get married. I go, yeah, you're not ready. You don't know how to do spiritual life. He goes, no, but when I get married and I have my wife, I have my kids, I have my job, I have my car, I have my house, you know, then I'll be better and I'll be able to do spiritual life. No, you need that beforehand. You need that beforehand. Because, no, but when I get married, then I will be able to, then it will be, you know, I'll have needs and I'll be doing spiritual life, etc. I said, no, you need to fix yourself up before you get married. Did you listen? No, got married. That's the one, the example of the icons in, in strange places. Do you know what they were in strange places? Because I'm, I'm a little bit of a snoop sometimes. So I went, when they weren't looking, was holes in the wall where he would punch them because he couldn't cope with anything because he didn't know how to pray. He didn't know how to pray. I mean, why would you have a, an icon? Like he had an icon on a door. What is that? Why is that there for? It was like glue tacked there. So I lifted up, I peeled it a bit, and there was a perfect fist. <laughs> a perfect fist. Because he couldn't cope. It's not just him, it's a lot of people. Prerequisite, prayer. You don't know how to pray, don't get married. Please, don't get married. You will destroy your spouse and your children. As a single person, if you don't want to pray, then if you just destroy yourself, you give less word. But don't enter into marriage and destroy the rest of your family. And I know, I see people, I see married people who are in the most disastrous situation... I go, have you prayed? They go, oh, oh no, no, oh no. Well, go do some prayer. You know, it's just remarkable. And when they do prayer, it gets better. And then later on, another disaster happens. Did you do prayer? Remember, as soon as, as, soon as you've done the prayer, it all became better. Goes, oh, I forgot. I forgot. St. Porfirio says, a large part of the responsibility for a person's spiritual state lies with the family. 
In other words, how a person becomes spiritual is because of the way they were brought up in their family. For children to be released from their various inner problems, which stem, for, in other words, from the family, it is not enough for them to receive good advice or to be compelled by force, nor do logical arguments or threats do any good. These things rather make matters worse. He's saying, when people, the children and adolescents have inner problems, inner problems, you can't correct that, you can't heal those problems by giving good advice, just giving good advice, or compelling it by force. Look, you've got that problem, but you've got to do that. You try to force them to do the right thing. You can't give arguments, you can't give threats, you can't give punishments when the problem is really deep inside. So what do we do? The solution is to be found through the sanctification of the parents. Become saints and you will have no problems with your children. In other words, when you as parents or the abbot or the spiritual father leads a spiritual life, then he or she is in a better position to help their children or spiritual children with their inner problems. There's really deep-rooted problems in people and you can see it just comes from the way they were brought up. So it says, and when it gets to that stage when it's really bad, advice doesn't work. When you try and force them to do the right thing, it doesn't work. When you try to use logical arguments, uh, they can't understand. Or when you threaten them with um, strict things, that doesn't work. Actually makes it worse. The sanctity of their parents releases the children from their problems. When the parents become spiritual, then that helps to free the children from these deep inner problems. Children want to have saintly people at their side, people with lots of love who will neither intimidate them nor lecture them, but who will provide a saintly example and pray for them. Children like that. They might not know it sometimes, but that's what's good for them. When the parent is not lecturing them, intimidating them, scaring them. When they're good examples, the parents themselves. And especially pray for their children. You parents should pray silently to Christ with upraised arms and embrace your children mystically. When they misbehave, you take some disciplinary measures, but you will not coerce them, don't force them. Try, speak to them, reprimand them, take some disciplinary measures. If it's humanly possible, if they're still listening to you. But he says, above all, you need to pray. And yet, the majority of Christians don't know how to pray. A child needs to be surrounded by people who pray and pray fervently with zeal, enthusiasm. A mother should not be satisfied by giving her child a physical caress, but should also give her child the caress of prayer. Now, what does caress mean? Touch, stroke, gently, lovingly, embrace, hug, cuddle, kiss, treat tenderly, treat with kindness. And St. Porphyrus saying, 
It's not enough for a mother to do that. The childcare worker can do that too. I come here and give it a bit of a hug, a bit of a cuddle. And then the childcare worker will go home and do the same with the cat and the dog. It's saying here, it's not enough to give physical hugs and loves and things like that. But you have to also give it the caress of prayer to hug the child spiritually. Let's see how that is. In the depths of its soul, the child senses the spiritual caress, the spiritual hug that its mother transmits to it and the child is drawn to her. The child feels security, certainty, when its mother mystically embraces it with constant, intense and fervent prayer and releases the child from whatever is oppressing it. That's spiritual. It's very spiritual tonight, isn't it? Oppressing it. Yes, a lot of you, we are all oppressed because of the way we were brought up wrong. Our parents made mistakes. So we have problems, inner problems. I've got a lot of them. People can give me advice. You know, oh, you should do this, this and this. Sometimes I can listen, sometimes I can't, under, no, don't feel it, don't understand. Because the problem's deep inside. But when you ask, for a, when you ask a holy person or you ask someone to commemorate you in the liturgy and you ask for prayers, then the grace hugs the child spiritually and frees it from a lot of the problems it's experiencing. The child, adolescent and adult. St. Porfirio says, Mothers know how to express anxiety, offer advice and talk non-stop, but they haven't learnt to pray. Yap, 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 advice. Anxious, look out, be careful this, because... Most advice and criticism does a great deal of harm when you're constantly reprimanding the child. We already heard that. When you're constantly uh, advising the child, etc. You don't need to say a lot to children, says St. Porphyrios. Now, this is a very nice part. Words hammer at the ears, but prayer goes to the heart. So when you... Speak to me, words, words, words to the child. It hammers the ears, yes. It, but it doesn't affect the child inside. But prayer goes to the heart. When you pray for a child, then you can change the heart. But when you yap to the child, a lot of times it harms them. Doesn't mean you don't do it at all. Sometimes you do. Sometimes you can do a little bit. But the problem is when, how, how much, when. The answer is discernment. And we get discernment by praying to God. If you don't know how to pray, what are you going to ask? Grammy discernment. Parents should be doing, that should be one of their main prayers. Help me to be a good parent. Help me to know what to do. But to do that, the parent has to admit that it doesn't know what to do. 
has to admit that it's failed. And ego won't allow that. Once I was talking to a lady on the phone when, about the child and I brought out some things that she was doing that were wrong. Oh, bitterness. Bitterness was pouring out of the phone. She didn't say anything. I just felt it. She was bitter because she found out that what she was doing was wrong. Instead of saying, oh, I didn't know that. Thank God, thank you, thank you for saying that to me because I was doing the wrong thing. I could have been doing that for years and damaging the child. No, poison. Poison was coming out of the phone. If I'm doing the talk here and someone comes up to me and says, you know what, Father, I think you did this wrong or maybe if you did it like that, and I get bitter and say, oh, she's telling me I'm doing something wrong. That means that my spirit's not correct. That means that I'm not asking God for help. Because how do I know that God's not speaking to that person to tell me? How do you know that when your husband tells you something of your faults? How do you know when your wife tells you something that's not from God? But just reject, 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 get bothered, ego. Get upset, medications, run to the doctor. Now, if the person tells me something, I go, oh, that's, that would be good, because then that means, oh, I've been, yeah, that's good. That means that I'm praying and asking God to help me. And that's good for me, because that gives me a solution. What should I get upset for? Prayer is required with faith and without anxiety, along with a good example. St. Porphyrus. There's an example, we'll do it next time. It's very long, isn't it? And there's another example, which is good, but we'll do it in the next talk. These examples of how prayer helped people. St. Porphyrus. All things are achieved through prayer, silence and love. I like that. It's very powerful. All things are achieved through prayer, silence and love. There has to be love to help our children. There has to be silence a lot of times, zippa, as we said before, and prayer. Have you understood the effects of prayer, asks Elder Porphyrios. Love in prayer, love in Christ, this is what is truly beneficial. As long as you love your children with human love, which is often pathological, sick in other words, the more the children will be mixed up and the more their behaviour will be negative. Unfortunately, our love a lot of times for people is not godly. It's pathological, sick. Not proper, no, it doesn't come from God. Oh, he wants to watch TV. Um, I feel sorry. I oh, know. I think. Uh, okay, I'll let him watch it. And, and then, see, that's out of love. You say, I don't want him to suffer. I don't want him to cry. I'll, I'll let him watch it a little bit there. Then later on, he just becomes worse. Becomes addicted or whatever. Watches wrong things. Gets influenced. That's not spiritual love. That's human love. 
That's not prudent. That's not where you're thinking of the future, the child. Pathological, I found for you in the um, thesaurus. I always look up thesaurus when I see a word. I go, that word, some people won't understand. I'll pick another five, six words similar. So at least some, if you hear it, you might go, oh, yeah, I understand it now. And I found the following for pathological. Compulsive, obsessive, chronic, habitual, unreasonable, illogical, persistent. And definition, involving or caused by a physical or mental disease. Now, what he's saying here is spiritual. Pathological is a sick love. How do we know when our love is pathological? How do we know when it's spiritual? How do we know? Discernment. I can't tell you. It's too hard. I can give you some examples, but you've got to know. Coming to the end, St. Prefers continues, People often telephone me from abroad and ask me about their children and about other matters. Today a mother phoned me from Milan in Italy and asked me how should she behave towards her children. What I said to her was this, St. Prefers now, Pray... And when you have to speak, speak to your children with love. Lots of prayer, few words. Lots of prayer and few words for everyone all around us. We mustn't become an annoyance to people, but rather pray secretly and then speak and God will let us know in our hearts whether the others have accepted what we have said. Pray secretly. The child's out of control or have a problem, go to your room and pray. Don't even have to tell that you're... You don't go and say, I'm praying for you and aggravate it more. I'm praying for you to be released from the demons. <laughs> I'm praying for you because you're possessed. You don't say things like that. Just go to your room and do it secretly. Lots of prayer, few words. What advice we're hearing tonight. If your children have not accepted then we should stop speaking. See the secret, what I said before? Because some people say, should you not say anything? If you can, you say it. But if they're finished, then they don't want to hear anymore. See it, finito, you can't do it. Just pray. If they're listening to you, you try. If your discipline helps them, you try. But if your discipline doesn't work anymore, your words don't work anymore, finished. Stop speaking, pray. We will simply pray mystically, says St. Porphyrios, because if we speak, we become an annoyance and make others react or even infuriate them, make them angry. This is why it's better to speak mystically to the heart of others through secret prayer rather than to their ears. Less words to the ears, more to God. Pray, embrace them spiritually. Continues, pray and then speak. That's another important thing. When you're going to, when parents say to me, I have to speak to my child, I go, what you do, don't speak now. I want you to do the following. I want you to go to the liturgy. The, when's the next liturgy? Oh, yes, Sunday. Go to the liturgy. Pray. If you can, even confess, commune, you get more grace. Ask God to enlighten you to know what to say and then proceed and go and speak to the child. And when they do that, they go, oh, I can't believe the words were just coming out. And that person says to me other times, he goes, I don't know what to say. I can't speak. I get nervous. I don't know how to speak to my children. I always muck it up. 
do that. They do it and it works. Sometimes you've got to leave it, even for one week. Pray. That, that's what you should do with your children. If you are constantly lecturing them, you'll become tiresome. And when they grow up, they will feel a kind of oppression. Crushed, in other words, like, yeah, I won't be able to go near you. Prefer prayer and speak to them through prayer. Speak to your children, but through prayer. In other words, not directly, via God. Speak to God and God will speak to their hearts. That is, you shouldn't give guidance to your children with a voice that they hear with their ears. You may do this too. Above all, you should speak to God about your children. Say, Lord Jesus Christ, give your light to my children. I entrust them to you. I give them, I hand them over to you. You gave them to me, but I am weak and unable to guide them. So please illuminate them, enlighten them. And God will speak to them and they will say to themselves, Oh dear, I shouldn't have upset mummy or whatever daddy by doing that. And with the grace of God, this will come from their heart, that feeling that they've done the wrong thing. But how many parents have the humility to say, I'm weak. I'm unable to guide them. That's the main thing I do with parents. Day in and day out. Day in, that, that's it. That's pretty much my full-time job. What is it? Making the parents to admit that they haven't done a good job, that they made a lot of mistakes, and that they need God. Like trying to get blood out of a stone. Can you get blood out of a stone? Mm, very hard. That's how it is with some parents. Ego. Ego. Just admit it. You just, you, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. I make mistakes all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, yep. Yep, yes, yep, yep, okay, yep. Yep, I'll do that, yep. I'll put it on my, um, on my, pro- on my list of, pro- of my priorities. I have to work on that. No. I love that. Lord Jesus Christ, or to your guardian angel, or to your patron saint, or to the mother of God, give your light to my children. I entrust them to you. I, in other words, I hand them over to you. You gave them to me. I'm weak. I can't guide them. So please... You enlighten them. Do you think that if God hears that prayer, that he's not going to give you the gift of discernment? 100%. A million percent. It, you, I, I missed it before. I forgot to, to stress it. God is obligated. God is compelled to listen to prayers like that. He will help for those situations, but it needs humility. That's why a lot of the parents, I'm sorry, the majority of parents are darkened. They're darkened. They are making so many mistakes. The reason being they don't have the humility to admit 
One, that they made mistakes, ask God for forgiveness, ask God for help and say, I can't do it. That's it. And those type of prayers, God will then enlighten the child. Little children, adolescents, even adult children. And with the grace of God, this will come from their heart. This is the most perfect way for the mother to speak to God and for God to speak to the children. You know what that means? You ask God and say, God, he doesn't listen to me. I, I, I muck it up all the time. I say the wrong things. You speak to the child. I can't do it. If you do not communicate in this way, in other words, through prayer, constant lecturing becomes a kind of intimidation, like a bullying, like it's like you're harassing the child, you're pressing it. You're forcing the child. When the child grows up, it begins to rebel and to take revenge, so to speak, on its father and mother who coerced it. They don't like it. There is only one perfect way for the mother's and father's holiness and love in Christ to speak. The radiance of sanctity and not human effort makes for good children. In other words, the perfect way is for the parents to become spiritual. And even if you can't, say you've got vices, you're swimming in your passions of anger and uh, you've got all problems and jealousies and all these problems and all that, what stops you of on your knees and go on your knees and say, God, please help me? What's wrong with that? Even the tax collector in the parable, the parable of the Pharisee and the publican, he was full of sin. And he stood there in the temple and said, beating his chest, his heart, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And Christ said, God heard his prayer. But the Pharisee who was leading a strict spiritual life and followed all the laws. God rejected his prayer because he was full of pride. I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people and not like that publican. That's what parents do. Thank you, God, that I am such a good parent. I'm not like that parent that makes mistakes. That prayer is demonic and the summary by Saint Porphyrios only with prayer will you produce results invoke the grace of God on all children for divine grace to enter their souls and transform them that is what it means to be a Christian and I reworded it only with prayer will you produce results Call upon the grace of God to enter the souls of all the children and transform them. That is what it means to be a Christian. That's what the saints did. Yes, they reprimanded this and that, but sometimes they couldn't do anything else. Ask God to heal the heart of the person. That's what you should be doing. The same with your spouses. Ask God to heal your spouse if they're having troubles. The same thing applies. Sometimes, you know, spouses act like children. 
sometimes you can't say nothing to them. The words are the same. Oh, be quiet, be quiet. You're always blabbing, you know, whether it's the man to the woman, the woman to the man. Same thing happens, same advice. Shut your mouth, zipper. Go to your room, pray for your husband or pray for your wife. Ask God to enlighten their hearts to change them. That is what he says. A Christian didn't say just children. He says, yes, you pray for God, to, you ask God to give grace to the children and to transform them. This is what it means to be a Christian, but also to everyone. That's the advice. Except for the two or three examples that I missed out, I think I did what I wanted to do. Now, just that. As I said, the other talks, 22, 70, 71, 72, 73, 74 and 75, worthless. And I knew that. I knew that even though those talks, if I may say so, I thought they were, they were so powerful. Even I that did it and I was like knocked out. I thought, this is very, very good, this information that I'm giving you. But I knew the majority of parents, they're not going to know because they haven't got discernment. They don't know how to apply it because there's no humility. Was that a talk or not? Not because I'm doing it. I'm not praising myself. This is from the saints. That's what is powerful. That's the secret. That's why it's good to stay close to monasteries because sometimes parents, their prayers are weak. But you go to monasteries, you write to monasteries, ask for prayers with humility. Make a sacrifice. People actually think that the monasteries, uh, like money comes down from heaven every so often and that's how they live. You should support the monasteries because the monasteries are what's praying. Without the monasteries, civilization is gone. Mm. Because um, they pray for the person. So the abbot said, those who stay close to the monastery won't lose their children. That's right, because the prayers of the parents in conjunction with the prayers of the monastics is powerful. Especially in monasteries because they pray all the time. When you say to a monastic, for example, with your heart, and say, please, can you pray for my daughter? She's you know, gone off a bit. That monastic remembers that. She might not show expression. She goes, I might just nod. But then when they go to their rooms later on and they pray, they will pray for your daughter, for your son, for your husband, for your wife. And yes, your prayers might not be strong, but these people pray continually. And their prayers are powerful. And they do miracles. But unfortunately, what I've noticed is that people 
can't come too close to monasteries sometimes because of their ego. They'll rather lose the help rather than to be told their faults. In other words, for some parents to be told that they've made a mistake, it's like you are putting them into the electric chair. Execution. Like putting thousands of volts of electricity through them. And don't, it's not exaggeration. That's what it is. They become completely upside down when they're told that they've done something wrong. And when they do that, it goes to their children. I remember an example of a father who didn't want any contact anymore because he didn't like to be told his faults. Even he said, oh, I don't like being told my faults. So he cut off. Lost all that help that he could get for the children and the, and the mother the same. Both of them, actually. Like it was a, a, a double, like a... It was, it was bad. And um, so they cut the children off. They cut off from the monastery. And what happened later on? I found out that the child, that got a bit older, said, oh, I, I don't want to see father because um, he will tell me my faults. Became the same. Neither the child became demonic like the parents. He will tell me my faults. So, yes, that's the benefit that we receive. Now, I finished the talk. I could go through the examples, but leave it. Let's just, you ask me some questions, but stick on the topic, please. About the pathological love. The which, sorry? Pathological love. Is it because of the mental disturbance of a person or is it due to demonic influence of the person or something else? All of the... Or some people can have pathological love because of mental reasons. They're just crazy, whatever. They might have pathological love inspired by demons where the demons want the parent to destroy the child, to push it away from the church. See, the, see when the... When the parent's doing the right thing, it's bringing the child close to the church. So when the parent's got like a pathological love, it makes the child distance itself from the church. And what do the demons want? They want that distance. So there's a lot of reasons for this, um, it's this sickness. It's a sickness. Next question. Oh, yeah, that's going to be in the next talk. But, um, yeah, sometimes the children don't come. Leave them. I said to a mother once, I said, um, she goes, oh, uh, about her husband, for example, she goes, oh, he doesn't come to church. I go, take the children, you go and pray. But he goes, but shouldn't he be praying? I go, just leave him. Just leave him. You don't do the prayers. One day, didn't come. Second day, didn't come. She didn't say a word. Zippa. And then... What happened? Slowly, slowly, like a puppy dog, there it comes into the, into the room and sat there and was listening to the prayers. See? Now, the children the same. Up to a certain age, maybe you can make them go to church a bit when they're a bit young, but once they get that puberty, this and that, they don't want to go, same 
one of the saints, Porfirio, St. Bajisul said, whoever wants to come, get ready, we're going to church. You don't want to come, don't come. But, but, they, but they, you know, they're young. Don't force them. Speak to God and say to change the child. Does that answer your question? Just don't force. Just continue, continue your duties. I remember another example. There was a woman having trouble with her husband. He wasn't doing the right thing. He wasn't really... He was Christian, but he wasn't leading a proper spiritual life. And I said to her, listen to me. Just listen to me. Do this. Don't speak to him hardly at all. Just don't tell him what he's doing is wrong. You've already done that. It was like a mule. He didn't care. I want you to do the following. I want you to talk to the children yourself, uh, laugh with the children a bit, do your prayers with the children, go to church with the children. Let's leave him. And after a while, it affected him so much, it actually knocked him out that he started to lead a spiritual life again. No words. I said, just pray. There's prayers to the, for spouses, for married life. There's prayers. For, just do that and he'll change. Like a man, his wife was doing that. She wouldn't take care of the children. She wouldn't do anything. I said to the man, you do everything. Don't worry about it. Just don't worry about it. I want you to play with the children. I want you to talk to the children. I want you to do everything with the children. Leave her alone. Say nothing. Because but all she does is knits on the couch and let her knit. Sell the socks at the market, get some extra money. Doesn't matter, just leave her. Just leave her. So he, he did that. So he says, I was in the backyard. His children were around six, five, four, something like that. He was in the backyard and he had made this big window. So the wife was on the couch, knitting, and she could see right outside this big window and she saw the kids and they were playing, they were rolling and laughing and things like that. And suddenly the man said, I heard from in the house, ah, screaming, crying. And he said, we thought something happened. He ran in. He said, what's wrong? I've lost my children. I've lost my children. It affected her so much that she changed. See? St John Chrysostom says, when your spouse is not doing the right thing, you do your duty and leave it to God to do the rest. If they're not doing the right thing, they're not pulling the weight of the family or whatever. He says, you do your duty, whether you're a man or a woman or whatever, you do your duty and leave God to do the rest. And praying, of course. Next. Sorry? You stuffed up, you said. Yes, I like the word. It's Australian. We stuffed up means we mucked up. That's it. If you keep on saying those things and pray to God to help you, you've got one child, haven't you? He will receive a lot of grace. God is obligated. He's forced, in a sense, as in using human terms. He's forced to listen to those type of prayers of parents 
who admit they made mistakes and say, I don't know what to do, you help me. Powerful. So powerful. Ask for discernment. And when the child's gone to the point of no return, that means you've lost it, that's it. Whether it could be even 12 sometimes, but say they get older a bit, 14, 15, 16, pretty much they're, sometimes they've really lost it. Then on your knees, ask God, please help me, I don't know what to do. Do you understand that one? Well, the child's behaviour... Is it too late to intervene in those years? Yeah, well, the child's behaviour is all dependent on those first seven years. So what it is is what it is. We said that. Now, you said, what do you do then? Well, St John Grissom says it's too late, etc., etc., because it's, that's it. It's stamped. But... Humanly, it's, it's finished. But what is impossible for man is possible for God. And hence, we pray. Repentance is so powerful. When the parent admits, forgive me, God, I took my child too early to school. I let it watch TV. I took it to preschool. I did this mistake and that mistake. When a parent repents and then asks God to solve the problem, then healing can take place, 100%. What's impossible for man is possible for God. We need repentance. Now, most people can't repent because of the pride, and that's demonic. See, St. John Christum says to sin is human, but to remain unrepentant is demonic. When you can't repent of something, that is demonic. Now, some people actually get offended. Sometimes they say, oh, I heard a talk and it's like you're saying I'm demonic. So, no, I'll say it again. If you don't repent, it's demonic. When I don't repent, I'm demonic. We all go through that. We go through these Stages of ego. We go through the ego where we say, I don't want to admit my mistake. And then you've got to say, no, you've got to force yourself. That's the struggle. Force yourself and say, no, I'm wrong. If spouses did that, there would be hardly no divorces. The majority of divorces are from ego. Ego, that's it. God willing, we will continue... The talk, even though to me, after that, there's not much more to say. I actually said to someone the other day, if I die, all I want is I want to make sure I finish this talk. This one. This can be my last talk because everything else will work out. So, thanks God, it's finished. I did it. I'm not ready to die, but if I die, I'll be happy because this is the most important of them all. This will tell you how to do things.
I can yap all day. I know. I've, I've watched it for years. People listen, they go, oh, it's a really good talk, really good talk. The next day they do the same thing. Without even knowing they're doing the wrong thing. Okay, so the food is ready. Maybe next week, or next, whenever we do it, we'll do more on prayers, how to do prayers, things like that, and uh, more advice, maybe. We'll see. Through the prayers of our Holy Father, Lord Jesus Christ, the God of mercy and save us. Amen.